Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Matt. In this episode of State of the Empire, we're tackling the fallout in the wake of the release of The Last Jedi. At this point, it's uh, mid-January. Film's been out for a little over a month. Hopefully, you've listened to our review of the movie already, and definitely we hope you've seen the film because the blast doors are open. This is an all-blast doors episode for The Last Jedi. There's no going back from here. In just the moments following this film's release, not even days, but moments, a great schism opened up. A schism not between light and dark necessarily, but between various aspects of the Star Wars fandom And it has been very difficult and very hard to define what exactly is happening here. But there is much fire and fury in the way people speak of this movie. We would love to ignore all of this, but it's a conflict that if you've you've heard our review, you know is felt even within the three of us. We Mm -hmm. all have different Mm -hmm. takes on this film and how it succeeded or failed. And at State of the Empire, we try very hard to (laughs) give a apt critical analysis that is you know grounded it's not overly positive it's not overly negative i would say the the bendu of critical analysis (laughs) so in this episode we know this is going to be heated divisive there's going to be a lot of comments on this in our star wars spoilers group there's been all kinds of back and forth i've posted articles that have incensed some people doug included yeah (laughs) And just in, in, the, in the aspect of me trying to cope with what I viewed as the, the failings of the movie, but the movie left us all feeling very different ways. But for some people, this is like a resounding success. And that's absolutely not where my perspective is. And in me, there is great conflict because mm-hmm. there's, there's a great many things to like about the movie. But what we actually got, it speaks to how challenged Hollywood is right now how challenged it is to invest oneself as a fan or as even just a, a fan of, of movie making in general in, in what's happening in the world of cinema and the nature of blockbusters. And then Star Wars is a really unique scenario. Star Wars it, in many ways shaped the notion of what a blockbuster could be. It virtually created transmedia storytelling or at least redefined it like and shaped it in a big way. And these films are at the epicenter of that discussion. Long story short, this is going to be a very difficult episode. It's going to be a lot of free-flowing thoughts. We're going to be also looking at things from the film that were deleted, deleted scenes that we can confirm were actually there. We've sort of suspected up to this point stuff that was missing, the ways the narrative shifted, the various ways it's reacted fans, not just ourselves, but other people who are going to you know pull quotes from, and, and just try to analyze what's happening here in the Star Wars universe. And I don't think we could hope to heal the schism because it's... A substantial schism, but it's one that we don't even, I don't, did any of you feel like we really understand why this is happening the way it is? 
I don't think anyone does. I don't want to go too political. As a matter of fact, I don't want to go political at all. But I feel like the events of the 2016 election really changed the way we look at subjective argument, where now it's almost like you have to take objective sides, like you have to commit to one or another. And I'm starting to see a lot of the same sort of discourse between fans. Hmm. And I think Star Wars is just the biggest thing in the media world that has sort of like now latched onto that form of public discourse. And obviously social media feels that. You know, I I hadn't heard anyone else bring up that comparison. And I think the interesting thing about that is uh, I'm willing to believe that even if it was on a conscious or subconscious level that, that this movie decided to sort of unofficially tackle that issue because mm-hmm. Star Wars was always very black and white. You know, it was very simple. Good guys, bad guys. That's kind of it. Uh, this, I felt, definitely was gray in certain ways and for fans who kind of wanted the comfort of knowing who the bad guys are and the heroes are acting like heroes and the villains are acting like villains and especially in this very polarizing time where everyone's forced to take sides and Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, and back that horse and get really uh, passionate about about your team when you see a movie that's in the mainstream that's traditionally very easy you know like to, to to know what side you're on to then I don't want to say challenge you, but to present something that's not as clear cut on many levels, (laughs) then I can see how that might upset a lot of people who put a lot of stake in it, especially when it comes to your identity. But that's just one facet of it. It it is. is. And and I've actually, I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last couple of days. And I actually feel if episode one came out in this age, in which we have the same, like, you know, we we didn't have the same social media back and forth that we did then. Certainly they were coming about, it was 1999, and we got a lot of like, wow, Phantom Menace sucks, you know, that kind of thing on on TV and, and you know, the sort of like more, you know, popular internet in its infancy. Like on Ain't It Cool News message boards, that like, the exactly. word would spread, you know. Exactly. But now if, if it came out when... Twitter, you know, the age of Twitter and YouTube and, and, you know, just that the, the immediate, the immediacy of social media reaction, I think you might actually get the same sort of toxic fan interplay. Interesting. I, and that's, that's entirely possible. I mean, I suppose the, the one, the one thing that for me, I think is, is most difficult is, you know, Star Wars has evolved into building on what's come before, extending that narrative. Like, a trilogy of films was not necessarily an important thing to do, narratively speaking, until Star Wars made it, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's been great trilogies before Star Wars. I'm not arguing that. I just mean, like, Hollywood latched onto it because here was this proof of concept that right. said, hey, you do three things right, and you're going to be milking it for a long time. And here we have um, an, an extension of it. Like, the prequels, at the very least, you could always say, well, hey, they suck. But that doesn't really affect the original films, except when they've got, you know, with the special edition treatments and how how much that might have diluted it. But here we have, um, and this is really, this is the thing that, one of the things that bugs me the most is things that reinterpreted George Lucas's narrative, the narrative that Disney paid billions of dollars for. This movie, in conjunction with The Force Awakens, but especially this film, turned Star Wars into a tragedy, the whole thing. I still don't right. agree with that, though. I'm like, I, I think I see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't see how suddenly watching the original trilogy. I'm not going to watch the original trilogy and just watch Luke in the back to tank and Empire and just go, 
man, it's all going to end in tears now. You know, like I don't I, when I'm in, when I'm watching sure. those movies, I'm in that mode. I'm not saying that it, it ruins those films. They can exist as the standalone and, and exist in that moment in time. Like the the whole George Lucas ruined my childhood, blah blah blah. That's that, yeah, that, no, funny no. funny joke at the time, but not really you know any kind of that's la- not, that's lasting not, statement. That's not any type of actual criticism. Or, right or defense or it, anything. It's more that there's a desire here. Uh, I don't. I don't, don't know if it's the desire of Ryan Johnson. I don't know if it's the desire of Disney or whatever. The dark twist of the Last Jedi is really nihilistic, and that nihilism has been championed by the fan base. And I think, and like a certain how do you, how do you mean how, what do you what do you mean by nihilistic? All heroes are real people, and therefore fallible and it's such a good thing that they took luke down a peg and made him you know a failure like it's so great how you know how doomed everything is and everything is fucked and that's so great that they're doing that in star wars as though that that's somehow subverting the expectations of what star wars is that i mean i mean this is you know by all means the plot of especially of a central film in a trilogy should take a downswing and people should be very challenged um but in the Last Jedi, I find that it presents a lot of really conflicting viewpoints. Even when it's trying to get that, hey, there's you know light and dark, maybe should be abolished. There's um, we need to find the, the areas of gray and all that. That's really good. That's some of the strongest material in the entire film. But then it doesn't stick the landing. By the end of the movie, it turns back once again into that polarization with little, you know, like Luke's like everything you said was wrong yeah and i'm not the last jedi like yeah the the entire conclusion of the movie is about moving back into absolutes it, it says it says it sets up this like really great arc of there's no absolutes the jedi are gonna die luke and yoda are, are laughing about it like it's all like we're gonna transform into something better and then like loops around to nope it's black and white again and there's still a jedi i didn't get that though i, I didn't i didn't feel like that like the the idea that if he just says, I'm not going to be the last Jedi, I don't think he literally means Rey is going to become a Jedi just like all the Old Republic Jedi. I think the whole idea is that... I should she's, hope not. But. Yeah, she's going to make... Uh, the, the way I took it, even on the first viewing, was just she's going to forge her own path. Like, it, the whole point is about growing beyond what Luke and Yoda have done. The same, like, just going further. And, and we're not going to know what that is until the next movie comes out anyway. I well, I guess I guess my expectation based on what Luke said at the end was that she eventually is going to achieve like the same sort of constant light dark play out. You know, they, they didn't team up in this movie. They decided to go separate ways after the very interesting team up that they had aboard Snoke's ship. And Luke says she's not going to be the last Jedi. The Jedi Order will continue. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe well, he they had... but he didn't say the Jedi Order will continue. All he said was, well, I won't be the I last mean... Jedi. Because yeah, and, because and, because even if Rey doesn't become a Jedi in the literal most traditional sense, she will be a force for good, and there will be other Jedi. There will be but like, other Sith. There will be other Doug, everything. Doug, he couldn't like he did a very interesting thing in killing all of the Jedi sacred texts, and then yet showed us at the end, nah, they're okay. They're still there. Like everything, like got soft rebooted into this. You know, which is the you know the 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 buzz term right now is that there was a soft reboot in this movie to like, the funny thing is like today they even said the resistance isn't continuing. The rebellion has been reborn. The rebellion we're back to empire and rebels, like all of the interesting moral ambiguity and gray was ditched at the end for kind of a status quo situation. 
I think that the body of the film is interesting in that regard. But then the end, it's like they served up comfort food at the end. It's like, don't worry. This is still going to be what you've seen before. This movie just wasn't it. But don't worry. The future is. I still didn't get I didn't get that takeaway from it for me for for her having like the books and stuff that to me was more of like the books are like the original trilogy or even the prequels if you will like they're gonna be there and they're an important part of who we are but we're going past that interesting interpretation it's just yeah I mean the difference between how I saw the end and how how you saw the end I mean it's I can see that I just don't think that came across to me you don't think that was the intention I do not well, and, and what's what I feel is kind of insulting to the foundation of Star Wars being the original trilogy is that this soft reboot of Star Wars, this rehash of everything, this this inexplicable arc of reinstating the rebellion first order or, you know, the, the, the black and white conflict of the original trilogy in in this film is that it's at the cost of of Luke, you know, a character who has more than earned a place of heroism who's then taken down a peg because haha you know like fuck you heroes can fail which is fine except that here it that he he is a like i've said it before he, he accomplished nothing like he he got 30 he ushered in 30 years of like an uneasy truce and then now it's all like there's the star war has started again he saw the hope and conflict that was in vader a child murderer and then finds himself in a position where he looks at his nephew and says, I can't save you. You know, like you're this, this is this. this and it, Mark Hemmel famously, you know, slipped in some interviews and said, this isn't my Luke Skywalker. This isn't the same guy. And I, I, before he even said that, that's what I was thinking. You know, this is not the same character. It seems completely and utterly different. But I, but it, it needs to be a different character. Cause here's the other thing I, I, I had realized that the time between return of the Jedi and this film. In Return of the Jedi, according to Wikipedia, Luke Skywalker was 24 years old in Return of the Jedi. This is 30 years after Return of the Jedi, which means more time has passed between Return of the Jedi and now in The Last Jedi than it was from the moment Luke was born to when he be said to when he threw the lightsaber away, told the Emperor, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. He can't be the same guy. The same way that if someone bumped into me on the street and said, oh, Doug, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, I know you pretty well. And I go, oh, okay. Then we talk for a while. And he goes, man, you're kind of a jerk now. You're not as cool as it were when I remember you. Oh, when did we last meet? Oh, when you were eight. Like, you don't judge somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, like your expectations of him being the same person. That was a problem with Han Solo. 30 years later, he's the same asshole in a, in a leather jacket palling around with Chewie. I'm glad you brought up Han Solo, Doug. Because first of all, Doug, you, you are 110% correct. We are not the same people we were that 30 years ago. That happens to everybody. However, the argument being provided by people who didn't like Luke's arc and what it means is not necessarily that people shouldn't change. It's that I didn't like the change. And not necessarily because the change was that like I just didn't want to see Luke go in that direction. I just don't think it was it was earned. Like in Force Awakens, Rey is the plucky, powerful, naive girl that reminds Han of his younger days and Luke's younger days and is like get in this fight and Han doesn't want to get in this fight and Han refuses as long as he can until finally he's kind of forced back into it and he goes and tries to rescue Ray. That is Luke's character arc in this movie too. He has left the fight. He's bitter. He's, you know, I'm, my days are done. I've only done bad to the galaxy and Ray shows up once again to try to convince him to get back in the fight. 
I already saw it in Force Awakens. Why did I have to see it again? I wanted Luke to change, but why did I have to watch the same change, but now just with the Force as the additional aspect of it? I, th- I think you have to blame J.J. Abrams because J.J. Abrams ended his movie with Luke being alone on, a, on an island, cutting himself off from everybody while the universe is at war. And when Ryan Johnson comes on board, he's like, okay, I have to have a reason why Luke is on that island. And I actually heard an interview with Ryan Johnson that was filled with spoilers where he says when he got, when he, like, he saw the early cut of the movie, he was looking at the original script and he's thinking, okay, Luke has to be on this island. Why is he there? And he even said in in his own words, he said in his opinion, his vision of Luke would be, he never would have run away. He never would have hit himself on an island. So he had this challenge of, he has to be there for a reason, and it has to be a good reason. And it can't just be, oh, sorry, I was just looking up old old uh, Jedi Temple stuff. I forgot that the galaxy was in trouble. Let me come back and help you. Like, he was, why would you isolate yourself for 13 years where the galaxy can't find you? So trying to reverse engineer that mystery box is, I feel like, is is the big problem of why we're dealt with this movie. This was like... When they put when they put Jennifer in the end of in the end of Back to the Future, they put Jennifer in the DeLorean and took off into right. part two. And it's just like, right. oh shit, how do we deal with this character? How do we we didn't necessarily want this to happen this way, and now it's, this has to happen this way. And that's one of the weaker parts of that trilogy. Sure. Is how they handle Jennifer, they knock her out. And once again, you know, I'm not squarely putting all the blame on, on Ryan Johnson here. And, you know, JJ can be, you know, attributed some of the blame of why I didn't end up liking this film as well, but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy what they presented me with when the film came out. They probably did back themselves into a corner. Yeah. I, I also think that JJ's mystery boxes um, were were not great, but I, I think that the subversion of those mystery boxes in this film of saying like, hey, did you care about any of that stuff? Were you looking for an answer? Fuck you for looking for an answer. That's also um, not a great way to handle that. And there's, you know, there's been the thing of like, well, hey, what was Ryan going to do? He had to start on that island, you know, he had to take care of all, he didn't. It could have like this movie could have started like it could have said it started could have started the same way saying the first order reigns supreme. Okay, well that makes not very much sense given that it's starting a few hours after mm-hmm. the prior film ended. But it could make more sense if it started uh, several months afterwards and you it cuts ahead to like Ray and Luke have already had this like really long weird relationship where Luke has clearly reluctantly agreed to do something. Finn is out in in the midst of a rebel heist, maybe on Canto Bight, doing some real work for the rebellion. Everyone's the story is already ongoing instead of this thing which feels like there was this need to start this film immediately after the one that followed before well literally ends on a cliffhanger and everybody was saying what happens next right it doesn't but the answer is it doesn't matter they shouldn't have shown us that this is bad storytelling but then how come on one hand you're like the fans really want to know what really want to know what happens next but we didn't have to give that to them but then oh fans really want to know who's Ray's parents are but fuck you for right though there's a difference between answers and the actual like plot structure of things because if if it cuts ahead you'll know what happens next because you'll see uh, like that Luke and Ray's relationship could evolve into something different by you know jumping forward into that rather than having this this like this this movie at Two and a half hours is both too long and not long enough in terms of character development. There's too many characters. There's too many things happening. There's a lot of good ideas, which all could have been well handled on their own. But when you separate them all out like this, you get no character development. And the biggest crime of all, which I really, really like realized on my second watch of the film, is that the vast majority of dialogue in this entire movie, this entire 
beautiful, long, stupid movie that I just want to punch in the face is expository. <laughs> it is people telling you what is happening and how to feel. There is practically no showing in a very showy film. Mm. And it's pure, it's because it is unwieldy. Be- and, and, and there's a theory so, here. Someone, someone's got to stay behind to pilot the ship in a, in a galaxy full of droids. I need someone to stay behind to pilot the ship so that I can posit so, myself in that situation right, later so, on. So, I mean, I won't argue that Holdo's death sequence... It's beautiful. It's magnificent. It is. But the that is a perfect example of how the film deals in emotional impressionism. If you start to look at the hows and whys of this universe, in a universe where this formerly, you know, filmmaking-wise, worrying about the hows and whys of Star Wars... They didn't really give you much wiggle room. Everything was was really tight and com- compact. You weren't like, why did that happen that way? It, there's good explanations. Not even, like, within the film, not expanded universe, not re- having to read a visual dictionary to figure stuff out. But here we have this entire movie being the the impression of, like, of, of martyrdom and the impression of, like, the, the whole plot arc with with poe you get the rise and fall of it they give you emotions and moments and things to connect with and they tell you how to feel and it works really good but as soon as you walk out of that theater and you feel like well why wasn't that why it was very it was a very tense situation with that whole war of attrition between the um resistance running away from the first order and all that but but and they were there were the losses were heavy but why did i ever really feel that why didn't they ever lean into the emotions of basically anything happening at all with the Which exception is, of the yeah no, it's, stuff. A, it's a very strange thing because you mentioned this movie is a tragedy but they never let me feel it like there was so much like random humor thrown in like everybody's constantly failing you know like finn and rose never actually disabled the tracker and like you know luke ends up like not you know leaving the island and you know like all these most of the resistance is wiped out but there's never a moment to sit back and like any of our main characters to go to really, really reflect on everything that's going wrong, which is, as you mentioned, Cap, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't translate well from force awakens. Cause at the end of force awakens, all of the rebels on Dakar are jumping up and down and celebrating because they destroyed star killer base. The end of that movie, that movie told me it was a victory. And then this movie opens up and it was like, no, they lost. And it actually probably makes more sense because the capital republic was destroyed. Sure, yeah, five but planets like, blew up. <laughs> yeah, it, but it changed on. I mean, just absolutely one eighty the other direction. The first order reigns supreme. Wait a minute, when did that happen? I thought our heroes were jumping up and down and celebrating. You know, they hugged. You know, Ray and and Leia hugged because Han died. But like the resistance had a victory. Apparently, they didn't. And um, Max McCree wrote in on Star Wars spoilers, and he said, listening to the divided opinion on the spoiler review episode regarding the Force stuff versus the war stuff, did y'all feel like Ryan maybe just condensed his original scripts for 8 and 9 into a single film? I recall he was originally supposed to do both movies early on. And that is that was an interesting point he brought up, because yeah. it was something that I hadn't forgotten. Because, but then Ryan Johnson, you know, at some point before eight came out, refuted. It's like, hey, no, I never, you know, I never wrote nine. You know, uh, that's a really interesting point, and because this, because if if it later somehow came out that that is the case, I would be like, you know what, this makes way more sense now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like condensing two movies into one movie because, like, I mean, I agree. There's a lot of stuff in here where I'm like, you didn't dive deep enough. And uh, you spent way too much time with this when we really wanted more of this. And this stuff felt half-baked because it was probably 
sacrifice to put more of like the confrontation with Snoke, you know, and stuff like that, which felt like a third movie anyway, you know. So no, that's an interesting thought that it might be that uh, you really literally took two movies and crammed them into one, which isn't a great decision. But yeah, and Matt, you went back to the books and you found the actual quote like of announcing the Ryan. That he was doing eight and nine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was from The Wrap back in June 2014. Ryan Johnson will write and direct the eighth Star Wars movie, inheriting the franchise from J.J. Abrams. According to two individuals with knowledge of the director's plans, Johnson will also write the treatment for the ninth movie, but he will not direct it. And uh, that was also reported in several other places. So, you know, it, it hmm. seems it seems likely, especially which is one of the th- one of the things that we mentioned in our review that was the strangest thing, is that it's this is all the setup for either the beginning of like if the first film in a trilogy or the last film in a trilogy, but not the middle film presenting yeah. an unrealistic challenge for JJ Abrams going in I episode can, nine. I, I can see that for sure. Like, cause especially with the way it ends with like broom kid and stuff and the idea of like, Oh, the force doesn't belong to anyone and it's open to the whole world, the whole universe and everything. That is really like a third movie feeling, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, the adventure doesn't end here. It goes on, but we know what goes on. There's a third movie coming. So it has it has all that surface level narrative and emotional flow for that for that film, but at the mm. same time, also accomplishes nothing. There's a, a lot. This is a two and a half hour long stalling mission where the characters don't have um, much in the way of of arcs. The only thing that works again is is the the arc of like the Force and Kylo and Rey and and all that and whatever's happening in there because Finn runs in circles. Um, Rose is unfortunately, I really wanted to like Rose, but, and I'm going to say something that might be really controversial if you're prone to knee-jerk reactions. Rose is the poster child for a Mary Sue character. She is the most Mary Sue character to ever Mary Sue that I have ever witnessed. She's a literal fangirl, like in the situation, you know, dealing with hero, hero worship, has the mild tragedy of Finn disappointing her, but then bounces right back, has the answers to everything. Um, and, and just, you know, spouts expository dialogue. She's just along for the ride. And I wanted, I want to care about her, but she about her sister more than, more than her. Yeah. Paige had more of a moment than Rose had in the entire film. Yeah. What's even worse is that, and I don't know what the, the editorial edict is here, but there's something going on because Rose is untouchable. She is a perfect little angel in every expanded piece of content that could have given her depth. I I hate to say that I think they just threw her in because they wanted more women in it because I I don't I I'm that sounds like a really cynical point of view but the the what I've from what I understand the the original script for this uh, the sequence of going to Canto Bight it was Finn and Poe that went on this adventure and uh, Finn and Poe were doing that remember we we were way back we heard this is like a james bond adventure in space where they're like mm-hmm. they, they have to sneak into canto bite and that sounded fucking great and apparently if it was the two of them like a buddy cop movie oh my gosh you know like i would i would have loved but, to have I, seen and that. i would have wanted that with rose too yeah. i mean even even as a new character it doesn't you know like but it, it's frustrating but she's she's got so much going on for her in terms of like you know being being a person of color and being like very like unsexualized i love the idea of having this sure. re- rebellion yeah. uh grunt who gets swept up into something bigger that's yeah. so great she, she, she's like a little she's a little person in a big universe and suddenly she finds herself thrown into the middle of the action when she should be a side character that's that's what they pitched I, yeah. as that's a story i wanted to i hear. would have loved to have seen that but but i i do have to agree that she was kind of not even kind of she's pretty one-dimensional like she didn't she didn't really 
change at all. She didn't really have any strong opinions. And and whenever she did talk, it was very on the nose. Like her whole one of my big one of my biggest actual nitpicks with the film is you know she rams uh, Finn off track and he runs over to her and forgetting the fact that you're like wait a minute wouldn't that have killed him and it's like yeah but he maybe would have died anyway so I could do this and maybe we both die but at least I'll have tried to save him but he's definitely gonna die if he hits that thing whatever so fuck all that but to the point where he runs over and he's like why did you do that and then she literally says the message of the movie like on the nose like I I, I kind of the whole movie I was really enjoying but then when I got to that moment even I was kind of like what that was kind of that was, that could have been written better like you know like like her whole character is summed up into this and it's just the most blatant here's the movie on a platter and those are the things that stick out to me so much in like so i, I i've i've gone about and like trying to find out what people loved about this movie so much and i found some great articles like and, and there's one i definitely want to bring up at some point upcoming but one of the things i keep seeing too is that a theme in this movie is listening to women mm -hmm. and that's a very like admirable theme that i want to see in a star wars film because mm -hmm. all of the men characters the heroes they're usually hot-headed and they're dismissive. Uh, yeah, dismissive and everything. And this movie is has a lot of moments of listening to female characters. And it seems like a very good theme until once again, you pull back and you see that no one experiences any consequences for when they don't like Poe becomes the leader. You know, he's he's, you know, given credit for, you know, Holdo and, and, and Leia like to talk about how they how they love his his fiery personality even though he got so many people killed, hundreds of people. So many. Finn gets a kiss, so he gets romantic, romantically rewarded. Um, you know, uh, like, Luke's redeemed at the end. You know, like, he, he actually does, like, enter the fight and has his big moment, and, and Rey is resorted to simply lifting some rocks. You know, like, nobody, like, I mean, look what happened to the female characters in this movie. Like, Leia is no longer, like, the leader of this rebellion because, I mean, obviously Carrie Fisher can't return for episode nine. But they filmed it this way. Yeah, exactly. They filmed it this way, and she does definitely, like, you know, maybe not consciously out loud, but she does says, what are you looking at me for? Follow him. Holdo dies. Rose ends up getting, like, knocked unconscious in and coma, is, like... Yeah. She gets to be coma. Finn in the like, next movie. Great. Yeah, it, all the bad things are happening to women because they can't follow through with what they're trying to do that drives me nuts about this movie like the theme of this movie if rose is like we can't sacrifice the things that we love to destroy what we hate holdo did that 20 minutes ago and and Jin did it one movie ago with an entire crew and an entire army of rebels and they won the day and their sacrifice meant something well self-sacrifice is, is is different than an empty rage-filled fight but in your opinion do they sell the fact that his sacrifice would have meant nothing I was mentally preparing myself for Finn to get blowed up then. Me too. And Actually, I feel feel like that it would have been the perfect conclusion to his arc if if that happened. Yeah, like if I, I thought I thought Finn was going to hit that thing and he was going to blow up because he was maybe be, I don't mean he wasn't exactly present for Haldo's sacrifice, but like sort of mirroring that. Like the I thought, oh, we're going to go with a the theme of sacrifice because of what's going to happen with Luke and what happened with Haldo and what's going to happen with Finn and there and then you know uh, Poe and Ray are going to have to be like. And 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 uh, and and Leia are gonna have to pick up the pieces of what's like what's left, you know. Right. And I'm like, oh, that would be interesting. But then again, Rose knocks him off course, and I was just like, that's a weird decision to make. But however, backpedaling really quick, if that was Poe that did that, <laughs> mm -hmm. and he was like recklessly being heroic, 
and uh, saving Finn. And even if even if Poe had a similar line of like, we got to fight for what we love, and he planted a big sloppy kiss on him, that would have been mm-hmm. amazing. And it would have been character growth for both people involved. But even when Rose, so Rose says her line that I rolled my eyes at, and then she kisses him, and I and I'm in my head, I swear, I thought, where the fuck did that come from? Because it's like you, there was no romantic tension. She was just fangirling. You know, well, they deleted right. it from the film is where it came from. Uh... Since we've been talking about Rose, here is the bulk of Rose's cut material. Now, I thought Canto Bite, based on all the the stuff they developed for it, was mm. cut down much more than actually was. Mm-hmm. In fact, they just created some really elaborate, very short set pieces. We know they created concept art for Finn and Rose being fancy in that fancy place where they certainly would not have let them in in the street clothes we saw them in in the film. That, yeah, that was the thing. I was like, why the hell are they just walking around like <laughs> but, no one notices? But they actually never filmed it that way. There were, mm. there were no alternate takes of that. However, their balcony sequence was entirely... N- like added in or at least in large part Mm -hmm. so um uh, a lot of this comes from an article on slash film which we'll link to they have some concept art that backs a lot of this up um they they went and made a point of saying it's not like a substantial set piece hit the cutting room floor um there was more time spent on the finn rose dynamic um that would set up rose's crush she chastises him for pining for ray Finn refutes that and says he was raised to fight and that he finally found something to fight for in his friend and rose is like whatever Hmm. Like, you know, I don't believe you. You got the hots for. That would have been interesting. Um, that would have been very. And that that that, that terrible exposition-heavy balcony shot was reshot to include the broom kid. Um, in the original version, Rose didn't have as bad a childhood, and uh, Finn shared some of his childhood with her. Ah, oh, shit. Ah, uh, I and want they, that. And they learned that they both had family members taken by the First Order. Why? Now, does it say why they changed that? Is it just to, is it just to shoehorn in? Uh, more sympathy for Rose for having a shitty childhood and then then thereby understanding her sympathy for Broom Kid and, and the slaves there? I, I don't I, I As far as I know, no official explanation of that has been offered. I mean, I guess I like, I'd understand that choice, but I don't really agree with it because at the end of the day, the character, personal character arcs trump any, any of the themes that you want to put in. You know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, and a big criticism I heard from a lot of people who are like, wait a minute, there's child slaves on this planet, and why are there child slaves? Why don't they just use robots? And I'm like, that's a very good point. Unfortunately, the answer is in the visual dictionary. <laughs> like, you know, and then I, and once I explained to people that I was talking to, oh, it's because uh, the the kids are put up as collateral for people who are in debt because that's the seedy underbelly of this thing. Like, it all looks sleek, but if you owe money, they'll fucking take your kids and hold them hostage and force them as slave labor until you pay back. Yeah, it, and and that's a great idea, but they don't say it in the movie. No, so it doesn't I mean, matter. hey, if you got if you there's there's a lot of people who say that like, oh, hey, like when when you, it's really easy to nitpick this film. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, and I totally get it. Um, but if if you want to say to somebody like, hey, if you want to like the film better, you should probably pick up the visual dictionary because that's not it, fair. It, it, but it, but but I agree. Yeah. That is no way to make a film. Yeah. That is no way to make yeah. a film. But amusingly, they do have a lot of good explanations. Yeah, and uh, you know, but I will say. Uh, even though I'm nitpicking that kind of stuff, in defense of this film on those exact same topics, the prequels handle that shit way worse. <laughs> like, no, why- I, and, and I agree. And, and this is actually something I wanted to talk about on, on this episode. I think when fans that don't like this film are nitpicking on logic details like that, like the Holdo thing, like the slaves, I mean, any of that sort of thing, I would try to convey to that part of the fan base, is that really why you didn't like this film? Right. Or is it... The, it, it's really 
the character issues that you have and like the storytelling issues that you have. And that's where the basis of your argument should be. It may be hard to like analyze that and see it and whatnot, but I don't think it's, it's a, it's a thing about nitpicking. Yeah. I think for, for the average people on the street who didn't who walked out of this movie not really liking it, I think it's hard for them to vocalize what the problems are because the problems are yeah. way more complicated than the prequels. You look at the prequels and you can just say, oh, gosh, this is terrible, like blatantly, like whatever. But you look at this and it's like it's a really pretty movie and it's got action and it's got exciting stuff and the music's good and, you know, like there's even good performances. So you're like, wait a minute, what is this? And then it's easy to latch onto something, especially when it people take to Twitter and it's just like, oh, yeah, like uh, – why did Holdo stay on that ship instead of like a robot? And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a good plot hole. That's a good point. But does that really ruin a movie? You know, like there's way bigger plot holes yeah, than no. other Star Wars but, movies. I mean, there's been a phenomenon where if people who haven't seen the movie yet, they'll they'll catch on because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to broadcast, hey, I didn't like this movie. That's not my intent. Mm-hmm. Um, I want people to make the decision for themselves because I know how difficult that is to, to see. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, they'll, but they'll, they'll eventually figure out, oh, Cap didn't like this movie. So I'm, they'll, they'll ask me to tell them things about it. And I'll be like, look, you just look, I honestly, I don't necessarily want to give them more money for it, but you should probably see the movie because I can't even begin to express to you the things that I feel the way I feel them without you witnessing it because it's such a clusterfuck of material that pulls you in so many directions of, of pleasure and then like psychic discomfort from the storytelling being broken um, the editing being weird that uh, it's hard to put your finger on. And then once people see it, maybe we'll have some shared experiences. For example, um, Keto Black wrote in to Star Wars Spoilers and said, I put this as the weakest of the new film so far, um, and I left the theater really undecided whether I hate it or not. What I find interesting is that in the days following, the conversations my friend and I had mimicked exactly the same conversations all of you had in the podcast review. This film speaks to a different issue about changing what we as fans should expect Star Wars to be and the new direction it's heading, for better or for worse. And I think that personally, between the new films and the expanded universe, that this new era of Star Wars just isn't for me. I feel that may be part of the reason why this movie is so conflicting. Not the problems with it technically, and there are technical problems, but thematically and the, new, the Star Wars machine essentially telling us straight up that they don't care what we think this franchise should be. Which there's a couple different points in there, mm-hmm. and to the point of thinking what we sh- it should or shouldn't be, that you know that expectations certain point of view it's not going to go the way you think. There's validity to it, but what hurts me the most is that it empowers people to have a really fuck you stance about things. Um, case in point, um, Liam from Bad Storytellers, another show on the Nerdy Show Network, replied to Keto Black and said, I've been raised in Star Wars my whole life since 85. As a fan base, we are pretty terrible. I'm glad they finally told us where to go. I love the new direction and hope it follows through. Funny the way everyone views things differently. Let it die. It's all about pointing out and ridiculing the things that are silly. Made me very happy. Um, and then Aaron Holland, uh, who's the, uh, the owner of A Comic Shop, which is a comic shop called A Comic Shop, the um, best-known... Uh, one of the best-known comic stores in Florida outside of uh, Tate's Comics, and he's he's a relatively well-known internet personality for um, for his videos and commenting on the nature of the comic books industry. He's been a Star Wars fan for a long time. I'm really close with him. Um, and uh, he's he being an owner of a nerd store sees a lot of things. Here's a lot of things, too, I'm sure. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
he says, and and well, and what I should also add in, in reading this quote from him is that with the Force Awakens, he went full in on the expanded universe, having never really truly invested himself in it. He was mm-hmm. like reading all the aftermath books and and certainly reading all the comic books. It was a fresh start. It was a new entry point. Yeah, he yeah. he was excited yeah. by that as a retailer and as a fan. He mm-hmm. thought like this will be the time I get into it this time. Um, it's not so daunting anymore. So he says, I refuse to speculate about Star Wars mysteries anymore. After getting absolutely nothing about who Snoke was and nothing about the Battle of Jakku and how that ties in a Rey's origin, I'm not investing myself in digging deeper into the mythology. The nerds who kept this franchise alive for 40 years are now back to our rightful place as the butt of the joke. Look at us who treat an interconnected multimedia universe as if putting more time and care into it will have some payoff. We're stupid. Star Wars is now infatuated by the cool fuckboy fans. They'll invest one movie ticket a year, get what they want out of the relationship while shitting on those supporting novels and comics. Yay. And then he linked to um, a quote from one of the many think pieces, that's with air quotes, that hit the internet following the film's release that really championed this nihilistic attitude towards the fan base. The people who made Star Wars a multimedia success, a a multi-billion dollar franchise, the the people who built it up, like the nerds who cared about the nuance enough to care about novels based on the films and all that, that really make Star Wars, you know, they make a lot of money from the tentpole features, but in between... This is the very definition of an evergreen property. Star Wars is a cash cow. You're going to make money every month out of the year from constant new releases. So here's, this, here's a quote. The broom child, just some random-ass kid doing the force to a broomstick and imagining it's a lightsaber, which somehow works simultaneously as a giant finger in the eye to the series, to the series here to... Giant finger in the eye to the series heretofore relentlessly inward-turning mythology and baits fan nerds to own themselves by missing the point and speculating about who this kid's secret parents might be. These are some of the times The Last Jedi gleefully and gloriously told the previous Star Wars movies to eat shit. Can you think of any others? Share them below. What? (laughs) I... That thing is so venomous. I don't even know where to begin. Right. I mean, like, it sounds like a joke post about this concept, but it is... You know, it's just one one stupid voice out the internet that doesn't deserve to be highlighted, perhaps, but it is a perfect distillation of a lot of conversations that I've seen. Yeah, no, me too. I just, I just, man, like... On the, both sides. I want to say on both sides. Sure, This isn't sure. just about the people that, you know, love the film or hated the film. I don't understand how this is happening, I guess. I, I don't know. I it just, I mean, kind of going back to what uh, Liam and Keto were saying, like, I, I've championed, like... On this podcast, I hate the, the the expression Star Wars look and feel. Like, I want these movies to be different. It doesn't yeah. mean I have to love the different or hate the different. It just means, like, it can be lots of things. Eventually, we are going to get the Logan of, sure. of Star Wars. We're going to get, you know, like, and, and also things that we haven't seen before. You know, so, which, you know, you could argue Last Jedi was. I mean, I, I do actually think we saw a lot of the things that people have been saying Last Jedi was quote unquote new for it was definitely that in part for sure yeah but this like objectivity of like how people feel about a film is just it's it's gone crazy and and And, and, but either way i completely agree with aaron on the the transmedia like dedication i am so fatigued by the effort i'm trying to put in like the old expanded universe did not feel like i mean there was years they released 14 novels in one year there was more than a novel a month and i was still leisurely going along because they told 
sometimes big stories, sometimes small stories, but they were their own thing that didn't have to be sub- so subservient to what was coming. Right. And I just, I see that now the expanded universe, like, or the, you know, the new, you know, Canon, you know, transmedia things, they're either tie-ins or, you know, we got a few things before force awakens came out that were loosely like on their own, but it's always going to just be tie-in material, yeah, at no. least for the, you know, it all, it, all feels, it all feels watered down compared to the films. With the exception of maybe Rebels on TV, I feel mm-hmm. like all these other books and stuff, we, especially you, Matt, you've been reading them, and you, you know, yeah. nine times out of ten, you go, "Ah, eh, this is okay," but I don't strongly recommend it. You know, right. and and it's and I think you're right. I think it is because Disney says, "Look, the movies are the thing. Don't step on their toes. Stay out of their way. Let them tell the big stories, and then you can do these things in between to fill the need for fans in between films." Right, but here's the, the big crime about that, and that you know, because you could be like, "Hey, look, Star Wars is a movie series. First and foremost, you're complaining about bonus content." Well, here's the thing, though: the reason that Star Wars is a big thing at all is because it's been held aloft by a fan base based around this expanded universe after, material. Yeah, after the old movies it, were finished. It's you can right. yes, you can enjoy a film a la carte, and that's great. But it is a media enterprise. It has always been a media enterprise. A media enterprise is what Disney bought from George Lucas. Mm-hmm. And right. they have been saying all along the rhetoric coming out of Kathleen Kennedy's mouth at events great and small, appealing to fans and investors alike, is that they, there's a dedicated story group. These stories matter. Everything is canon. It's all connected. It'll be a rewarding experience for fans to go as deep as they want. And unfortunately, though the scaffolding of that is certainly in place, the reality of it is not. Because like we've mentioned in the past, they they do an interesting job of setting up narrative threads woven throughout all the things coming up in the lead up to a film. Like the introduction of, of all the mythos surrounding kyber crystals leading up to Rogue One. But perpetually, because these films, and this is another big point of mine, these saga films especially are exquisite corpses. That is the poetry or storytelling style in which you have a round circle you have a circle of people who write a something a sentence at a time and then pass it to the next person and then you see where it is at the end of it these movies have have this is the, the the continuation of the star wars saga and there is no map there is no plan and therefore all the material in its orbit also suffers under that because if you say all right admiral akbar is going to die in this film let's play up that he's the hero of the rebellion and that he is a more recognizable figure to the rebellion than even like leia orlando or han solo these people are relatively unknown compared to admiral akbar well then you get and you're like well hey i already liked admiral akbar as like you know as a diehard fan he's i had his action figure maybe in the 80s maybe in the 90s whatever and then he he gets a single line in this movie and is killed off screen, which would be fine, except that the expanded material has been subtly hinting to try to make that death land even more, and it's unrealized. It's just an example right. of one of myriad things that they well, start to set up as an infrastructure. In the, the, the compass in, in Battlefront. You know, play the Battlefront DLC. Right. Or p- play the Battlefront campaign for a unique take on the Imperial story. And then ended up being a complete tie-in to Force Awakens and Last Jedi. And all that tie-in was a compass that Luke took that is in one shot of Last Jedi. It didn't play into the plot. Everyone's like, oh, there's a key element to Last Jedi in Battlefront campaign. And that's fine. We know that now. We know that it meant meant nothing. And if we hadn't been told otherwise, we would have suspected, ah, it's just going to be some throwaway stuff just for funsies. Right. But I think, again, that falls in line with the theory that Disney is just focusing solely on the films. 
and all this other stuff. They just think, well, if fans want it, that extra thing. Because the, here, here's the thing, Cap. The quote that you said was they wanted a rewarding experience no matter how deep you wanted to go. So they want the average person off the street who's a casual Star Wars fan to enjoy these films without knowing any of the extra stuff. Paradoxically, that means the diehard fans who want to read literally everything, play every game, every everything, they need to feel rewarded too. And you can't do that unless you are making extra content that's not a film that is really rewarding and deep and have big story arcs because when you throw the like i agree when you throw in the things like the compass and oh admiral akbar is a really big deal watch out for him in the next movie and then you don't show him the people who do put the time and effort into it are going to feel let down and at the end of the day i i i think Disney wants to play it safe and not cater to the diehard fans because if they did make a big deal out of Admiral Akbar and the average person on the street says, why are they making a big deal? Like, and one thing was like, why doesn't Admiral Akbar stay behind on the ship and sacrifice himself? And that'd be a really great death. Because 99% of the people who go see this movie are going to say, who the fuck's that fish guy? And why do I care that he's blowing himself up? They're not even going to realize he was the guy from Return of the Jedi. Or they'll say, ha, that meme, it's a trap. And like, they'll laugh at it. And like, that's it. That's <laughs> good enough for Marvel style humor, of which there was plenty in this movie. Yeah, but Marvel's its own movie thing, and this is Lucasfilm. And granted, they're both owned by Disney. Tell that to them. Sure, but they're both owned by Disney, but they are trying to at least sell the idea that they are very different movie companies and they have different goals. This, like, this is one of the many the many facets of what's like uh, upsetting about about what's happening here. Like, mostly reflecting Aaron's point about like, well, let's not care because like to to Aaron's point, I want to say like. He says, oh, that's it. I'm never going to get invested in any Star Wars mysteries anymore. This is two movies. <laughs> like you, They set up questions in one movie, decide to skip over or thereby say the other things aren't even necessary. So you're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater for the rest of all of Star Wars? There's going to be a million more movies. Well, sure. But the, the thing is, is that there's because there's no plan for these films especially – uh, seemingly the most important films they could be making, you know, numeric expansions of the Star Wars saga – then you enter into this situation where, I mean, look, I don't like J.J. Abrams' mystery box stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's stupid. But but when when the story group starts approving content that they're saying, you know, here's here's Aftermath. This comes after Return of the Jedi, and it's going to lead in all this stuff, and it seeds all these, like, these, I, these concepts that at this point might genuinely be jettisoned concepts, things they're not even doing anymore because they have no plan. Then you have things like, I mean, you have the, the, the weird sense of like, okay, the First Order is a big bad threat. But here, in A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie you ever see, you, you know, you, you're like, you get the sense of, oh man, these, the, 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 uh, the, Empire, the Empire seems big and bad. They're telling me it's kind of big and bad. And then you see the boardroom scene and like the Senate's been dissolved. It's all us now. And you're like, oh shit, these people run the, the world. The galaxy. Yeah, they yeah. run everything. Yeah. That's crazy. Who are the First Order? Well, they're they're a bunch of uh, fringe people with the most insane military technology anyone's ever seen, and every time something shows up, it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a loaded gun. When are they going to spend the time to like elaborate on that? They're they're probably not. I maybe JJ's got something tucked away. Maybe he can do a lot of a lot of cleanup with Episode Nine, but he uh, quite frankly has a lot like way more on his plate. It's not an enviable enviable position at all. Like, um. I feel for him doing episode nine. That's not, that's not going to be fun. Um, there's but like dealing with with Snoke and Snoke being built up and built up and built up and dealing. But with he, he was parents. built up by the fans, not by the film. Like the film wasn't like. I, I he, agree with that. 
I agree with Doug on this one as far yeah. as Snoke. Yeah, people because Snoke was a mystery. Wait, where did this guy come from? The speculation ran wild. And now maybe they should have anticipated this because it's Star Wars and it's Star Wars fans. But the movie did nothing to suggest that something bigger was coming with Snoke. They did nothing to suggest that there's this big secret that's about to be revealed or that his origins are important to the trajectory of this entire trilogy. Well, here's the thing. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the the alien you know, like what? What is he? Where does he come from? And all that. Though they've certainly done quite a bit to around the fringes to play that up. But this is the guy who took a good kid and made him bad. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who influenced Ben Solo to have him ruin everything that Luke Skywalker had accomplished. That is a very loaded concept, and I don't know, like. Well, the Emperor in, in Empire Strikes Back, he's a big giant hologram, just like Snoke. He's talking to Vader. He's the one who corrupted Anakin Skywalker, great pilot, good friend, hero of the Jedi, to turn his back and and kill all the Jedi and destroy the Republic. But we got no background on Emperor. Who was he? Who was that guy? Who was he before? He's just the Emperor. What happened to the Republic? What happened to the Jedi? How did this guy, who seemingly, we're not, we don't see him do any Force powers in Empire Strikes Back, why is he the boss of Darth Vader? Shouldn't Darth Vader be in charge? He's got the force. Well, Doug, I, I like I said, I, I agree with you on the character, the alien Snoke, but but I also like I'm absolutely 110% on board with you, Cap, as far as the machine of the First Order. This I still don't under like, especially with this movie positing that like they now reign supreme because the capital of the Republic has been destroyed. Right. I mean, if you nuked Washington, DC, like it doesn't mean that, you know, the, the United States, I mean, it was devastating. But it doesn't mean the bad guy, the, the, whoever attacked is now ruling all over America. Yeah, North, North Korea runs supreme, rule supreme. Like, it just, it doesn't, like, I don't understand. And also just, you know, the books, like, once again, it shouldn't have to rely on transmedia, but like have been wildly inconsistent about who the First Order was and where they came from and what, mm-hmm. you know, their situation was. It, it just, it's not answering things. And I guess A New Hope gets a pass because... It was just the first movie. It's the status quo. They they get to establish the status quo. This movie, nine movies into this, or nine movies total, and then eight movies into the saga, can't just throw up a status quo like that without showing us, or showing or even telling us. I mean, I'd like a little exposition, I suppose. And, and once, once again, I feel like this falls to J.J. Abrams. Like, he did sure. not say how powerful the first order was we saw one star cruiser and star killer base and yep. and in and in the books and in battlefront they are giving a better idea but i'm still hazy on like how strong they really are and what they're actually really capable of and that makes me not as scared because i don't understand how bad are they really how crazy is this going to mm-hmm. get how desperate yep. is 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 the resistance slash rebellion now and was that their entire fleet at crate that I don't Holdo know destroyed? Like I, I don't know I, anything about that. According like, to according to Battlefront, no. <laughs> like that's yeah, the thing. Exactly. And then it's like, but the average person's not gonna play Battlefront and they're not gonna know. And that's exactly. a that's a bad decision. And and going back to, to Snoke the person, the only one that the only aspect of that is like I'm totally okay with him being just like, you know, powerful politician that, you know, came about out of nowhere and leads this group. It's fine. It's it. He's Tarkin, you know, like, or he could be like, you know, he's just, he's in charge. However, Leia very specifically says in Force Awakens to Han, it was Snoke. And then this movie's like, it wasn't really Snoke. It was Luke having a huge moment of vulnerability that plunged the galaxy into darkness. Was that Luke not revealing the truth or 
Leia just misinterpreting what happened? Like, what? I don't understand how all of this. Well, well, Luke Luke said that Snoke had already corrupted him completely. Like that 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 Luke looked 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 into him and saw that Snoke had already the damage had been done. And in his moment of weakness, his knee jerk reaction was to ignite a saber. And then immediately he felt guilty. And then he's like, No, no, no. I saved my dad. I can probably still save this kid, but it was too late because then Kylo wakes up and sees what he sees. And I just, you know, once again, I'm all for Luke being different, but the man who saved Vader about to kill his sister's, you know, so the love of his, you know, the love that he had for his father and the love that he has for his sister was what saved Vader and the galaxy. Yeah, but but Luke is not a perfect star child. Like Luke is the one who choked the Gamoran guards in Jabba's palace. Luke did snap and, and cut off Vader's hand. But his character arc, Doug, is him turning off the lightsaber after he chops off Vader's hands and sees, I can't become my father. Right. And he throws the saber away. Yeah. And then his father sees him do that and says, I can do that too. Then he wants to look at him with his own eyes. <laughs> and the galaxy is saved. And sure, it's called Star Wars. It's not called Star Peace. There's going to be more wars. But I don't understand why the conflict has to be so internalized once again and reverted. Finn reverts back to what he was at the beginning of Force Awakens. And Luke reverts back to what Han is at the beginning of Force Awakens. And and Luke reverts back to, like, Vader, sort of. You know, like, it's it's just there's got to be better ways to, to plot these movies. I still place most of the blame on the way JJ sets up things with no intention uh, or no answers. Like when you put up a bunch of random Agreed. questions, Agreed. you know, these may be great questions, but the questions alone can't guarantee a good story. So when these answers turn out to be anti-answers, I can understand the disappointment, but I think the reason why I'm okay with it is because no answer given would ever be satisfactory. So the only way to do something that would be hopefully compelling would be to say none of the above. I very vehemently disagree because I think that the problem is that it's what, what answers or diversions happen in this were all very like poorly constructed or dismissive due to the very, the way that the, the no, nothing had enough time spent on it in, in the last Jedi. Like there was not enough establishment to really hammer home. If you want to, if you want to change Luke's character that intrinsically, they spent some time on it, but I honestly don't think they did enough to really convince me of it because they'll, they'll because well, again, they'll tell you things. They'll, they'll tell you like, you know, I, I was there and in a moment of weakness, I thought I was going to kill my nephew. I, what? Like, okay, you're, tell, you're telling me that, so I'll, I guess I'll go with it, but that just doesn't gel. So here- if, if the dark side, if he sensed the dark side stronger in Kylo than even in Vader, because in Vader, he sensed good in him. That was the whole point. There was a when when he's being presented with this is the perfect villain for you, Luke's young Skywalker, a faceless half man, half machine terminator of death that killed your father, that killed everyone that you would care about. He's responsible for your uncle and uh, uncle and aunt being killed, killed Obi-Wan Kenobi right in front of your eyes, and then you find out he's your dad. That's the worst thing possible. But then you sense that there is still somewhere deep inside there's good in him. Now 30 years later, you have your nephew. You're always giving benefit of the doubt. You're raising him up. He, he even says that he knew that there was he was having trouble. He was struggling. He could sense the struggle within him. But it's like the inverse. Now he goes to reach out to him, and instead of sensing a little bit of hope, he senses darkness, worse than Vader. And that 
could scare him and that would terrify yeah. him to the point where it's like uh but, no wait but, a minute <laughs> um, but i mean like but then the they say that i don't believe it like you look at the character that's presented on screen of like him always about to cry about something and and, and not killing his mother and and getting like romantic with ray and all this other weird stuff i'm just like i don't i don't know what's happening here but and i don't think they do either and he even says i've only sensed raw power like this once before He's talking about Kylo. He doesn't say, I sensed this raw power once before and then maybe once before that with my father. <laughs> like, So they're insinuating that this is worse. Like that this is, sure. you know. But then where's the arc of, or the, the dynamics of it? Like where's the change when he does show up on crate, you know, projected? And instead of being like, Ray was right, you know, like there's still good in him. I've forgotten how it was like with Vader. Instead, he shows up to Leia and says, I can't save your son. He's really fucked up. <laughs> like there's no, like the dynamic is not there. Like well, I, where's the, well, and I, and I, and it, like, I think I said it on the review for the last Jedi was, I feel like what, again, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm interpreting something that wasn't meant to be that way. But the way I interpreted that was Luke saying, yeah, I cannot save your son. He is too far gone. I cannot save him, but Ray is going to. Like Ray is, the, Ray is the spark of hope that they're talking about. Because she's, yeah. she's the one that's going to have to do better than him. The whole the, when Yoda says, "We're what they grow beyond." That's the curse of the masters. It's, she's sure. going to do what Luke can't. Well, okay, so that 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 brings back to something that I was also like wanting to bring yeah. up, which is that that Yoda and Luke and their their conversations. How on earth is the the lesson of of failure is the best teacher like something that's new to? To how, Luke Skywalker. Hold on. How is Star Wars new? How is any of this new? Like everything that Luke goes through, it's like uh, saying saying that the, the lesson. Luke was never even fully properly trained as a Jedi. Let's be honest. Luke is not a Jedi in the sense of the older public, right? Sure. Everything after Yoda dies, he's on his own. He's making up his own shit. He fucked up the, the same way Obi-Wan fucked up. The same way Yoda fucked up. But in Luke's at least Luke has a hero's resume by the end of the trilogy or by the, by the time we get to the, his, his like formal quote unquote training with Yoda in empire in that he destroyed the death star. He is a rebel soldier. He, you know, uh, and, and, and he leaves his training to go save his friends. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, let's talk about Ray. How much of Ray, as much as I love her and I love Daisy Ridley and I love the idea of the character Ray hasn't been heroic yet. She has spent Force Awakens getting rescued, not participating in the big battle to destroy Starkiller, didn't end up actually blowing up the oscillator because that was given to Han and Chewie because even though this movie is supposed to be more progressive and giving us, you know, like great female characters, it's still the old guard, you know, saving the day like Luke does in this movie, by the way. He provides the distraction, not Ray. So Ray fights off the guy who just killed han solo in force awakens and they they go away instead of sticking with the resistance becoming a resistance shoulder she goes to look for luke and instead of bringing successfully bringing luke back to go fight for the resistance she ends up leaving him there and then going to because of a vision try to redeem the mass murderer and father killer kylo doesn't actually pull the trigger on snoke tries to get him to join you know like is tempted by the idea of like forming their own little third party and then is absent for the end of Last Jedi. She lifts some rocks at the end. Rey hasn't done anything heroic, at least not on the scale of, she didn't even successfully get BB-8 back to the Resistance. 
she's been very brave and yes. taken some interesting risks and been very persistent, but that is it. All good observations, but to compare with Luke, I would say, what was Luke's biggest failure in the original trilogy? Well, his always looking to the skies and to the future, never in the moment, as yeah. Yoda told him. So he's never faced true failure, I would say. Well, no, he failed at Cloud City. He went to go save his friends, and he lost an arm and failed to save Han, and was, you know, basically got a mean dose of the dark side. Yeah, but what did he learn from that? Failure being the teacher. Like, I don't... To me, to me, like, yeah, that's bad, but that's not... That's not... Having your nephew fall to the dark side worse than your worst fears is a way bigger struggle for him to face 30 years on. Like, we have to... You have to think, what's the worst thing... From a writing standpoint, I'm trying to think, what is the worst thing to put Luke through in order for him to change or grow even 30 years on? Because he can't be the perfect Zen master all that time and never change. We all, I mean, I know we all agree. Well, also his failure in, in the original trilogy is finding out that he's capable of so much evil. I mean, his mm. father, you know, like he, he has that in him, you know, it's, it's about, you know, you want to talk about letting the past die is like him knowing, finding out that he is so powerful that he could basically be a galaxy ruler yeah. and still fighting for the good of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so he overcomes that failure of his lineage. But then this movie, he he helps speed along more failure of his lineage. I don't know what he's learning. I think he's learning to get back into the fight and to continue on. He's. I don't think he's faced a similar defeat as he did when his nephew goes bad and destroys everything that was important in his and his parents' life. Like, that's... I, that's not an easy thing to bounce back from at all. I mean, even, you know, the death of but one would be hard to bounce back from, let alone however many Jedi were in that temple and, uh, and the fact that he's been betrayed and destroying everything that is he and, uh, uh, Leia and Han had fought for. So I, 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 like, I think that because the failure was so great and he incorrectly places the blame on himself, he feels because I'm the problem. I need to be the brave one and 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 cut myself off from this because anything that has anything to do with me is going to result in failure. And I think that's wrong. That's his lesson. He learns that that's wrong. What what makes you think that it wasn't his fault? I mean, he did try to strike down his nephew. Like whether Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Not he decided in the last moment, oh, I better not do that. He did try to do it. 
I think that was like instinctual and that wasn't like a conscious decision. Like I'm going to do this. And then he does it. I think I the know, fear, I think make that, the decision to turn on that blade. I think, but I think that deci- that problem wasn't, I'm going to make the conscious decision to kill my nephew. I think the failure was that the fear of that got to him. Like the fear of the dark side in his nephew was so strong. His hand went ka-chink with a lightsaber and he's like, Oh fuck. That's not the Jedi way. The fear of this shouldn't have made me do that. I'm not the great Jedi that everybody thinks I am. I'm I like he he still has so much to learn. And that's his great failure. Not that he made a conscious decision to kill him and then out of the last second made a conscious decision not to, but rather the fear hit him so hard that he couldn't control his own fear because he wasn't faced with anything like that since Vader. This is the biggest challenge that he'd seen in forever. It all gets dumped on him on one in one moment. And he fucked it up. That was his time but, to shine. Yeah, but, for Luke Skywalker, yeah, for Luke Skywalker, the guy who can turn Vader, this shouldn't have been new to him. But in that moment, he got scared and he fucked it up. He dropped the ball and people died because of it. Okay, and that, this is what this is what happened. This has been committed to film now. But um, is it is it interesting? Is it compelling? I don't. I think it's actually quite bland and 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 amateurish. Yeah. Well, well I mean, in all seriousness, like I don't know where else you would go with it. Like, what what's what's the what's more interesting than this hero of the galaxy who doesn't believe he does he doesn't like the smell of his own farts. He doesn't think he's the great hero. He's just a guy trying to be a Jedi and he's trying to lead the light side and be a, good, a force for good. But everybody has this hero worship complex of him that he can't ever live up to it. But I guess, I don't know, writing a movie, once again, we're going into this like deconstructing like our heroes, like writing a movie to the societal standards that we hold Luke Skywalker up to, you know, real life is not, it's not a, like, I mean, it can be compelling, I suppose, but like, I guess I'm just putting out there that like, sure, that's a direction they can go in, but it wasn't very interesting to me. Like, I've seen Luke see darkness in someone and then see the better of them. I don't want to see him do it again. Well, I think you paint yourself into a corner because once you see the good invader, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. where do you go from there? And and on the other hand, what if he thinks, okay, this is bad. I got to stop this. You can't have him pick up a lightsaber and stab a million people because that's totally not the Jedi way. That's not what a good guy should do. Sure. So you're, you're really, you're in a pickle, you know? And if you followed even the expanded universe where it's like, Anakin Solo and shit, and the uh, the Solo children, and they go to the dark side. It's another redemption story. Well, Jason Solo does die dark. Mm. I mean, and Anakin the- Anakin Solo died hero. I mean, he he never went dark side, but Jason Solo did die dark. His his twin sister had to kill him for the sake of the galaxy, and he was doing it for the right. Like Jason Solo was doing it because he felt like the galaxy had to be strong for an evil yet to come. Oh boy! But <laughs> yeah, I know, right. But I just don't think the movie is actually new. Like, I feel like these are reminiscent. The only reason they're reminiscent is because they're constantly reminding us of the things that they say they're going to do differently. Hmm. I can see that. Ben Kenobi providing a distraction so that the rest of them can board the Falcon, to me, is the same thing as Luke providing a distraction in front of some AT-ATs so that they can leave out the back of the base. Like, he's allowing the Rebellion to live on by driving you know the new vader's attention towards his old master you know like that that scene is the same i I agree that the takeaway can be the same but i think the movie and i'll add unsuccessfully tried to make that a bigger deal than it 
really was. In other words, right. I, I I do see how it's like, yeah, he distracted the the first order, the uh, the resistance got away, they lived to fight another day, and he died doing that. He sacrificed himself doing that. I think the movie was trying to frame the idea of, oh yeah, but it wasn't just a sacrifice to do that. He was sending out a message to the galaxy that it's okay to have hope again. It was the spark that ignites the flame that burns the first order down. That the legendary Luke Skywalker came back and he faced down a whole row of of walkers all by himself with a lightsaber he f- and they did nothing he brushed it off his shoulder and then kylo ren came down and they fought 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 and you know what kylo couldn't lay a hand on him because he was never there because that's how but powerful is, he is and is that do is that doing something new or is that doing something bigger like star killer base is bigger than a death star i don't know what the comparison is because star killer base to death star that's obvious but to Luke trying to make it what, what I'm saying though, thing. Is, yeah Ben Kenobi to provide the same exact type of distraction but with bigger because he's doing it in front of walkers and a and a big duel on you know on right. a, a desolate oh, no, like, yeah. just... I, I agree it's basically the same action but I think the, what the movie was trying to suggest was that that was also a show it's more public yeah it was more public and that because okay. like because okay. Leia had put out the call to other people and I mean they don't I mean yeah, I agree that it, it doesn't really land that message. If they were streaming it to the galaxy, like we got Luke Skywalker right. live, but that they didn't do that, right? And That'd be cool. I, I don't. That'd be how, cool. how on earth did those little kids know about it at all? I don't know, and that's why I'm frustrated. Like I, I like still, so much I still about want it. My, I still want my Resistance decoder ring. By the way, I still don't know why that I haven't seen them sold. Yeah, yet. I was googling that shit like a week ago, and they still didn't have <laughs> yeah. it. I'm like, dang it, man! Like, there's so much about this movie that I really, really like, and then there's things like that where I'm like, but why? If you spent two seconds just saying that, oh, the cameras are going here and just spend the message out that, hey, no, this is the resistance. Everyone saw that red light in the sky and it blew up all those fucking planets. And I know you're all still panicked. This, I mean, could you, dude, look at the real life, like 9-11. We were panicked for like fucking forever. So imagine while that's all happening, the news comes on and says, everyone, this is the resistance. The weapon that blew up all those planets, Starkiller Base, it's gone. Don't let the First Order walk all over you. Don't let them be afraid. Look, and here we are. We need your help. We're on the last 20 people <laughs> of the resistance. We're at Crate. And oh my God, Luke Skywalker has entered the game. And then people but, would come running. But they didn't do that. That's what I think. Going way back to earlier in the conversation, Cap, uh, that, that nihilistic outlook now that is so prevalent that at least you and I certainly see in in the Star Wars galaxy like the call for help not being answered. Right. What you is know, why? Like, why? The I, entire I think, galaxy has has bowed to the first order and there's no one coming for help. I I thought like, that was very strange and I I chalked that up to again, this is not fair, but I chalked that up to knowing that in the expanded day, you know, stuff with Battlefront and whatever the the universe six hours ago just saw these red lights go through the sky and five planets are destroyed and mm-hmm. now other ships all across the galaxy are entering you know uh shared space and they're all saying everyone bow down we're the ones who blew that shit up everyone's got to listen to us now that's not fair like because not everybody knows that and you're like why in the world with leia putting on out her the personal call, channels yeah and to her friends who are all over the galaxy no one's coming back that was a misstep. Like, I think that there should have been something there, or at least an explanation that they're all saying, hey, uh, we would like to join you, Leia, but we're kind of all dealing with an invasion. Be- and then she goes, oh, my gosh, it's worse than I thought. The First Order is everywhere. That would be something. Yeah. But That'd be great to find out, like, to hear that they were deploying all over the galaxy. Yeah, and that this was just a like, small part of, like, a much yep. larger plan. 
but but no, like nothing is spent yeah. time on, and 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 they they have no time for anything except for really feeble exposition. Um, and and then that, that takes us to I suppose if we we're, we're we sort of entered the cycle of of hitting on very specific aspects of the movie that vex sure. us in different ways. Well, let's, let's back it up then. So, <laughs> like well, well, let, let me let me hit one last one that I think is like the most criminal thing they could have done. Um, the uh, character assassination of Poe Dameron. He is a yeah. he's a mass murderer or a man, mass manslaughterer. Like he is a, a responsible for so many many deaths. He's responsible mm-hmm. for in large part the demise of the rebellion. He his and and look look at this look at this from a from a layman's perspective. I I saw the movie a second time last night with someone who hadn't seen it before. The there was the, one of the 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 biggest focal points is what was happening in that first battle. And I'm like, well, since I've read the visual, di- visual dictionary, I can tell you all about that. But I can't tell. But but it would have been nice if the film had explained, or or even attempted to rationalize what was happening there, such as Poe Dameron having some kind of weird souped-up engine on the back of his X-wing that enabled him to then he was going to stall so they could finish the evacuation, mm-hmm. and so then a, a the the Devastator shows up, that massive um, orbital cannon star destroyer that they couldn't have known was coming. Um, it shows up because Poe's plan is seemingly engineered for when that thing they couldn't know was coming did show up. So then he would blast forward and use his incredible pilot skills to take out all the surface area weaponry so they can mount a bombing attack with these bomber ships that you've never seen before go up like paper and somehow their payload, and I won't get into the nuances of how the payload works because that's another thing entirely, but does raise a lot of questions even in people who don't know Star Wars. That payload from one of them is enough to take down a thing that's bigger than a regular Star Destroyer. And that's (laughs) how the movie opens Mm -hmm. with nothing but questions. That are not good questions to be asking, that leave you with an uneasy feeling when you start thinking about them. Um, so then, so Poe does that and sacrifices an entire squadron for some plan that he could never have actually had, um, and then proceeds to send two completely inexperienced chumps on a ridiculous mission to pull off something borderline impossible, and uh, and then as a result. The vast majority of the, the rebellion stripped down from 400 to about 20 something. 20 or so, yeah. And, but Leia and Holdo like him. He's a mass murderer. And, I, and Leia says, like, they have everything they need. Like, you know. He's the hero we she need. Satis- him. She's satisfied with the ending. I, I don't think she's satisfied. <laughs> I, think, I think it's more of like, we have to keep moving forward. I don't think, yeah, I'm happy with the way things turned out. I do not think that's how Leia <laughs> feels. Uh, well, I, I think I think she's just happy that Poe's a leader now. Well, I I think character assassination is a strong word for someone who didn't have a character in the first movie. Well, I can tell you that from from the first film, I don't believe that this is the same character. I believe he's written completely differently, and then they created a lot of expanded content based on that character from the first movie that this is not. So they've invested money and time, and the you know a, a going back again that the movies are obviously the focal point. So the expanded content will always be second fiddle. But they invested a lot of time, money, and promotion into building up the character of Poe Dameron in expanded content, building up his legacy, building up his story, and then this happens, which seems like for all the planning they put into trying to get people psyched up for Admiral Akbar um, and his eventual demise, then they psyched up Poe Dameron. At not well, they they did not at all establish that Poe is 
the kind is is a is reckless to this point. Poe is Poe is cocky. Poe is daring, but Poe isn't reckless to the point of mania. To the point of like to, like he's a bad person. He's he's there. he disobeys direct orders. He disobeys direct orders, and he's telling he's telling Leia, "Hey, Leia, hey, we did it." And like, and there were heroes out there, and Leia's like dead heroes, and she's fucking right. Like, mm. like he Poe can't possibly be in a command role because he doesn't value the sacrifices of the individuals. He's hence, okay. Hence his demotion. Right. Hence his demotion, which virtually doesn't happen. But, he, but it does happen. That's why Holdo doesn't tell him about the plan. Holdo should have told everyone about the plan. Here's another little a little tidbit. Okay, so there. The, the First Order follows the, uh, the, the Rebel Command through um, hyperspace. Well, the first thing I, as an audience member, thought, and I'm not alone in this, is that, oh, shit, there's, a, traitor, a, there's a traitor. Yeah. But then immediately they jump to something impossible. Oh, my God, they're tracking us through hyperspace somehow, which is supposed to be impossible. They never would have jumped to that, logically. So, and, the, you know, you're wondering, like, is that true? Well, I guess it must be true because Poe just sent Finn and Rose off on this harebrained scheme to do this thing because of that, sure. Okay, so I guess we're going to say that's real. But then Holdo is still behaving as though there's a traitor on board. But in fact, she would have avoided a ton of crisis if she had just told everybody, all right, here's the plan, folks. We're going to burn them out. We have a plan. You have to trust me. We have a plan. There is something in place. But instead, she makes it look like everything's dire, which would have made a ton of sense if she was worried about a mole. But that's not a plot point in this film, which makes me wonder, you know, is this, again, is this Frankenstein out of two movies? Probably, but in, in defense of uh, Holdo not coming forward with the plan, I mean, if you're in the U.S. Navy and you're working on an aircraft carrier, you, captain doesn't have to answer your questions. Like, there, there's people escaping on escape pods, shooting out of this thing, but rather like dying than, than than to stick aboard. There's deserters. Like she's there's there's no morale. Well, there's probably deserters because one of them is probably a traitor because they need to find out who's doing this and like why. How is one this line? One line could have uh, sure, all that. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Here, fun fact about deleted scenes: they ADR'd the shit out of Laura Dern. Really? Oh <laughs> yeah. And in the second watch, it's really fucking obvious. Anytime you see an old over-the-shoulder shot of Laura Dern, listen to that audio quality. It's mm. like not the same. And Ooh, on the point I of, I did not notice yeah. that. On, on on the point of uh, things would be better. I don't know. This isn't the point you were making, but I've heard this point put out online. Like, why doesn't Admiral Holdo just say what the deal is? Because Poe is a great pilot. It, it would be great to have him on her side. She doesn't... First of all, as soon as she shows up, he's given her the stink eye. And so she's... I don't think she necessarily thinks he's a traitor, but let's just say that she does. Why can't the same be true for Poe? Why doesn't Poe come to his boss and say, listen, we figured out hyperspace tracking. I want to mount a mission to go do X, Y, Z. She may have said... Yeah, let me support you on that. <laughs> you know, like let me cover for you on this. So it kind of goes both ways. Like they're both not communicating, so you can't fault one and then right. the well, other. Well, they, they, instead they just told us Holdo's never going to go for that. <laughs> yeah, and which again, I, they if if I was writing it, I might have handled it differently. But that's what we got. Yeah. And and let's let's just not forget as much as you know. Once again, I try not to nitpick, um, like at least the fine details about what's strange, but. The hyperspace tracking thing, how does Leia's ship get tracked from Scarif to Tatooine? The literally opening of the movie, like according to the new canon, is now because Vader tracked them through hyperspace. And what's strange is in that from a certain point of view book, there's a story about how the Tantive Four is leaking hyperdrive coolant, which is how they are able to be tracked. It's not a big deal. Like in that story, it's just a strange thing. They have an entire story about how they were able to be tracked. And then Last Jedi comes out and you find out why. 
it's like they invented the hyperspace tracking thing just for this movie and realized, wow, that doesn't make any sense with the movie that we just made, Rogue One. We better write a story to explain that. If the very first thing you see in the very first Star Wars movie is the result of hyperspace tracking, you can't make another movie in which the main issue is hyperspace tracking because it's never been done before. Well, in the first it was literally the very first thing when when it first came out, the reason they were able to track it was happening there, as they said, oh, several transmissions were beamed to this ship. So they're able to track the transmission to the ship. Granted, Rogue One changed all of that. So it's not the same thing. But again, I think that's new uh, Disney uh, story group. That's right. But that's that's them saying, oh, we'll take on the burden of answering all questions. And it's all one continuous continuity and all of it will make sense. Trust us. And then, like three or four movies later, you're kind of like, eh, there's some, there's some but, uh, problems. But it wasn't you know? three or four movies later; it was one movie later. Like they, yeah, they sure. knew yeah, what the ending yeah. to Rogue One was going to be. Yeah. Like unless they didn't have that tan, unless the Tantive Four wasn't there at all until like the very, very late reshoots, which is very possible. Yeah. And then they decided, like, well, shit, like, you know, Last Jedi is literally about this. What are and, we going to and do? And I think at the end of the day, if there's a conflict. let's just i'm just this is pure speculation so bear with me but let's just say that's true rogue one was going to end uh the way it ended well the uh, not the way it ended rather but like you don't see the handoff to the tantive there's no darth vader scene we know the darth vader scene was a late edition then what if the story group gets a fax or email or whatever and it says by the way here's the new thing so send this out to all comic books video games that have anything to do with that that this is going to happen someone in the story group says Wait a minute, hyperspace tracking, blah, blah, whatever. They they notice a plot hole. They then go knocking on Kathleen Kennedy's door and say, uh, "Miss Kennedy, um, there's a problem here with the end of the movie. It doesn't really work with like literally everything else that we have so far. So could you maybe not do that?" She's gonna say, "No, the movies come first. This is gonna make a great ending. People want to see this, so deal with it." Well, it's crazy. It's not even the yeah, the movies come first. It's like the, that other movie we made, <laughs> and then the one that we right. made back in 1977. Right. Like they literally came first. Right. But I, th- I, th- I think that it's all about, you know, full speed ahead and make that movie and get it out. And by the way, you really want to, like, take Star Wars in a new direction and get into the moral ambiguity and gray point. Why wasn't there a traitor on board? I know I was expecting that to happen, too. I was really looking forward to, like, I don't know, as like, I mean, oh, I no. never would have thought it was Rose, of course, but just like someone that you've seen on the peripherals or something or. Maybe it was or like Holdo. what? what, what, what uh, fucking uh, uh, Snap Wexley. Neem <laughs> 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 Nub. Just Neem. I don't give a fuck. Anyone. Just like something. That would have been great. Hunting, d- hunting down a traitor while you are running for your life on board this ship. Well, yeah. see, that's the story of when they made this movie and it was just that plot thread and also Ray mm-hmm. and not all the other things they should I think you're right. In there. I, th- I, think, I think that might be the thing. Cause, and again, the idea of not only uh, Poe and Finn going on their daring mission to Canto Bite and have it feel totally different, but also possible cameos from Lando Calrissian. And mm-hmm. just like so much cool shit mm-hmm. that I think was just falling apart because they're jamming these things together. And and, you and then we have and then we have the completely unnecessary uh stint of all the uh, third act action on crate. I, I it's it's abysmal. Like which which to, to and I would say that when they were starting I knew that we knew that the Battle of Crate was gonna happen. But after everything that happened on the Star Destroyer and Snoke getting killed and Rey escaping and all that stuff, and then being like, oh, wait, we still got to have a battle scene that's like this. The movie could have ended here. And I, mm-hmm. Again, once again, probably because of jamming two two movies together. They had two climaxes for this movie. 
Ryan Johnson um, had some post-film release interviews where he said some interesting stuff about the Ray's parents' dilemma and really focusing on the new Star Wars saga as an exquisite corpse where they never know where the thing's headed from film to film. He said, anything's still open, and I'm not writing the next film. With all these movies, Obi-Wan's whole speech about a certain point of view always applies. So I think that you have to always think about the context of how information is given. But for me, dramatically, that's why that reveal at that moment made sense, the reveal of Ray's parents. But then he goes on to say in another interview, that's why Kylo sees that. He's not lying in that moment. That's what he saw, and she seems to believe it when she hears it. I'm not writing the next film. We'll see how they handle it going forward. And as we all know in these movies, there's always a certain point of view that's involved. But for me... I can understand why that answer doesn't feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be the hardest thing she could possibly hear in that moment. So basically, yeah, it's, again, emotional impressionism. They don't know who she is. They don't know where the story's going. It just, it is. Because if Kylo Ren said, you know it's true. Your father was Luke Skywalker. She would go, oh. And and that's (laughs) that's fine. Like, Rey doesn't have to be part of any great lineage. Right. Though it would certainly help because right now the only surviving Skywalker in this remaining part of the Skywalker saga is Ben Solo, which is very strange. Um, But it's the exquisite corpse thing. It really just bums me out that, you know, like it was this film, these films started as as the vision of one person. Then they bought it. They devised the story group. And that group of people are still told, all right, so you guys are, you guys are holding everything together, but we're not going to let you make any executive decisions. Even though you have folks like Dave Filoni on board, who is George Lucas's fucking apprentice. Yeah. You, you, you'll be able to influence things you'll be able to nudge things but we're still going to put this in the hands of hot shots like J.J. Abrams who's going to mystery box this shit to death and to that point there's an amazing video that we'll link to in this episode's page from the YouTube channel Sideways where this is this is a musical guy he does musical analysis he has analyzed very well that Ray's theme her musical theme by John Williams is a Frankenstein of so many important themes from Star Wars in the way it's like it, it can be played um, there's so many different aspects of you know known Star Wars themes so that it can be tweaked to reflect any of her possible narratives, light or dark. I, th- I, I Yeah, but I don't think that means anything. No, what it means is, is that like there was, at least at the time of the first you know film coming out, Force Awakens, that there was, that they, they knew so little. They're like, yeah, we need, we need it to be multi-purpose. We need to be able to skew it in any direction. Like, couldn't that just be a, on the flip side? Couldn't, that could that just not be a mandate from Disney, but rather be John Williams uh, being a genius? <laughs> like, oh no, yeah, I'm not. Say, I'm not necessarily saying it's a mandate. I'm just saying like that 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 is a necessity because there's there's no clear path. There's no there's nothing. It's all it's all ether, and now it's on J.J. Abrams to ch- hopefully try to make it make sense and have these three films feel like a package deal. To like you know their own unique narrative because that's when they sell you the idea of a trilogy. They're selling you this experience of this three-part narrative that all winds together and has some kind of you know story that it's telling. Well, I mean, I think for for anyone who's frustrated with the Last Jedi, I would still say it's still okay to be excited for nine. Because the whole idea is like, yeah, there's no direction, there's no whatever, but that means anything can happen. And if anything can happen, that means something good could happen. Sure. I won't argue that. I also won't argue that there weren't great parts of this film. Let me put it this way. For those of you who are old enough to have seen the prequels in theaters 
and to at the same time be old enough to understand them critically, like to understand their strengths and weaknesses. I don't know about anyone else, but my experience was after seeing episode one in the theater, I was a little disappointed. After seeing episode two in the theater, I was also disappointed. I didn't have high hopes for number three because of the pattern that was happening because I thought, well, George is going to keep doing what George is doing and he's not going to listen to anybody and for good or ill, this is going to be his vision the way he wants it to be. I feel kind of the opposite with this where because it's done individually, like one at a time, anything can happen. And I am I may have my feelings about J.J. Abrams about, well, is it going to be more mystery box? Is it going to be repeat of Return of the Jedi or whatever? Point being, I'm still excited for it. Like, whatever. Like, what? I mean, the, it's funny enough. The one I'm not excited for is Han Solo <laughs> because it's like I already know what's going to happen. Like, we already know what kind of movie it's going to be before it even happens. Whereas with Nine, nobody knows what's going to happen because nobody knew what was going to happen in this one, even though we knew a lot of spoilers going into it. We only got the big spoilers like like a week before it came out, if that. I guess my, my feelings are I would ask any listeners who are disappointed with The Last Jedi, and I mean this sincerely, it's okay to not like it. But have you looked inside yourself and mourned the prequels? <laughs> like, have you, have, you, have you been able to look at the prequels and, and come to terms with the fact that not everything Star Wars is going to be great? Especially in this future where there's going to be a Star Wars movie a year for the rest of our lives. But that points to a bigger question, the, the nature of Hollywood and what's happening here. Like, we're three individuals who are shaped by... Star Wars growing up. By been... those movies, though. You can't say Star Wars as a whole. It's like, because it's going to be so big from here on out, there's going to be good... It's going to be like James Bond. There's going to be good ones. There's going to be really shitty ones. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't ruin the whole thing. I guess, to me, though, like, you know, I never disagree with anyone that told me the prequels were terrible movies. Never. Like, I never tried to refute that. I certainly enjoyed them, but I won't disagree with them on that. However, I saw them as, these were George Lucas's films. Mm-hmm. George Lucas made them. Fox didn't step in and say, eh, you probably shouldn't do that. George Lucas made them. So if there was the promise of more Star Wars films, I could say, well, something different's on the horizon, right? Because somebody else is taking them, which is mm-hmm. how I felt about this Disney. You know, I was like, oh, here comes J.J. Abrams' film, and then we're going to get Gareth Edwards, and then we're going to get Ryan Johnson's, and then we're going to get the Lord and Miller, and I guess no Josh Trank film, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, my issue with eight, is I look at it and I don't say to myself anymore, well, at least we're going to get the Ron Howard one next and we'll see what someone else does with it. For the time being, until they let up a little bit, probably until they actually get a movie that they're disappointed with the box office returns, I keep thinking I'm getting Kathleen Kennedy's movie as the next one. And then Kathleen Kennedy's movie after that. And then Kathleen Kennedy's movie after that. And after that. And after that. And after that. There isn't anything on the horizon that I'm looking for as someone else's movie. I guess that may be an extreme way of looking at it, but I guess it's extreme in that, like, I'm not saying that I am looking forward to all the future, you know, the two that we have planned and then Ryan's trilogy and everything else. But I would say I'm less excited than I was 12 months ago or 10 years ago during the prequels. Hmm. Well, you know, we're still, as far as the saga is concerned, the mainline saga stories, it's, it's, we're only two movies in. Yeah, And I know it, it's been a long time. It's been a long time coming on a lot of dissection, but until it's done, who knows? And with all the miscellaneous ones, hopefully the best Star Wars movie to ever exist is yet to come. Because it can happen when you're making that many. 
Yep. Right. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't think the future of Star Wars is in films. I think the future of Star Wars is probably in television. Rebels or, is the or, uh, or interactive things and gaming and uh, maybe VR or what, whatever the new mediums are. Because we're about to, you know we're we're on the border of another paradigm shift that we can't really predict how it's going to shape up. But I don't I don't like the Hollywood machine anymore. I think mm. it's stifling for storytelling. I think it's really hurting Star Wars. I think Star Wars could have thrived at Disney, and it certainly is making you know the money, and it's doing it's doing well for itself. They'd be able to do all kinds of crazy experiments. Um, in terms of like the void and other cool things, but um, this the you know the, the the film creation by committee is very is very disastrous. I feel like in many ways the Last Jedi and the schism of the fan base has told has reminded people, hey, it was a new hope for Star Wars, but for a great portion of you, this is reminding you of the prequels and this is giving you authority to not care again, which is a shame because there was so much of a reason to care again. What a part, of, but what part about this would be movie by committee if we are to believe what we're told that Ryan Johnson wrote the whole thing and didn't have influence from anyone else? That's a nice story they're spinning, but I don't believe it for a second. I don't believe it either. I, I actually still, I think that Ryan Johnson still actually has a lot of credibility in him, though this film should tell me otherwise. But I think that it was actually, you know, that there's, you know, this is this was not the um, the definitively Frankenstein film that Rogue One was, for better or for worse. Um, I think Rogue One was a better movie at the end result of it, you know, somehow than than I don't know than what it was going to be, but at least between Rogue One and The Last Jedi, I take Rogue One by a mile, um, even with all of its flaws. Um, but there's there's something weird going on right now, and no shit, <laughs> dude. Last Jedi aside, there's something weird going on. Yeah, look at mm-hmm. Han Solo. Look at Rogue One. Yeah. Yep. So here we, you know, here we are, people who love Star Wars, but you know, to, I mean, we're we're kind of keep doing this show, but it's it's a weird it's a weird time we're sitting through. It's like th- like there's there's this has impacted all of us mm-hmm. in a in a way that is, I think, not positive, um, which sort of brings us to a quote from uh, from Ryan Johnson on Twitter. There was a. Uh, a user named Sparky237 that said in somewhat broken English, do you think it's good that it's polarizing too many? The fact that people are discussing? Ryan replied, the goal is never to divide or make people upset, but I do think the conversations that are happening were going to have to happen at some point if Star Wars is going to grow, move forward, and stay vital. And quite frankly, I don't know what to make of that statement. Like, what... What are these conversations that he's referring to? I, I, that I don't know, but I think Ryan Johnson's statement about is more in, t- in tone of what he was trying to say with the movie. For so for good or for ill, they picked Ryan Johnson to do this film, right? And I think his goal was to try to make something that says we need to grow beyond, we need to do something more, we do need to stay vital. Whether or not the movie delivered on that point, that's up for anyone's, that's up for debate. But I don't know if. Disney are the right people to continue that line of thinking. Like if he was genuinely in charge of writing it all and, and he had no influence from Kathleen Kennedy and, and everything they say is true. And he really wanted to put forth this idea of now they can, now they have to go on and do whatever. The downside is that uh, unless you have one artist really doing it, it's always going to be up to committee. It's always going to be up to, you know, whatever. I know at the end of the day, it's best in Disney's interest for this trilogy to end and there to still be Star Wars a Bruin. Right. And that's fine. Like, that is actually totally fine. But that doesn't mean that you have to 
fuss around and run in circles for three movies to get there. Hmm. I think uh, maybe in this great pantheon of modern day big blockbuster films, you have Marvel who plans ahead with a vision. And even though it's not that deep, you know, it doesn't have a lot of philosophy. It's not deep, but at least it's there. It's at least there and it's entertaining and it has a tone that's fairly consistent. Uh, On the other side, you had Warner brothers who said, I want that Marvel money. And they jumped on it so fast that they're still trying to recover. I think Star Wars is probably somewhere in between because once Disney bought Star Wars, don't you remember episode zero of State of the Empire? Not only did Disney buy Star Wars, but expect seven, eight, nine spinoff movie, spinoff movie, and a movie a year until the day you die. They said that day one when they announced they bought it. So they were trudging ahead. This was a beast that just started moving and there was no way they were going to stop it. They're mm-hmm. not going to stop to second guess. They, there's no time. You got to get this out because we got to make money. And I know that sounds really cynical. I'm not, I don't have that cynical of a viewpoint of it. Because oh, I, I mean, that's just straight up what happened. Yeah, that is what happened. <laughs> but the good news is that regardless of how you feel about any of these films, there still may be fantastic films coming out because it's always going to have to change. There's always going to be another filmmaker involved. There's always going to be something else. Granted, with Marvel, like, oh, they got Edgar Wright to do Ant-Man. Uh, he's backing out because they didn't want to let him do what he wanted to do. But it will happen. Like, at some point, there will be... Uh, directors coming in doing one movie here or there like a Bond franchise and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I look forward to that shit for sure. And I guess we'll be here in the meantime sorting through all the muck of it and we we know like we we're very cautious about recording this episode because it's this is not we we we've seen at first hand in in many places of discussion like how toxic this conversation can be. Um, and how hard, how many, like even, I mean, I realize I have not necessarily conveyed myself as well as I could in this very episode. Cause once I, once I get in a role about one thing, I get distracted by seven other things that vexed me yep. like leading and up I'm, to And I'm the opposite where like, if I start talking about one thing that I think people don't interpret properly, I then talk about 10 other things that I feel like, well, this is what I saw. How come no one else saw this? And that's all subjective, of course, but I get on that role too, and the and to be and to be com- to, to be completely uh, uh, frank, like everywhere else I go online, all the criticisms I hear are pretty bad criticisms. Not in the sense of like, oh, these are the things I didn't like, but rather weak. Like the criticisms are very surface level or very nitpicky, or are it wasn't what I wanted, therefore I don't like it. But State of the Empire, at least with you two, you're at least saying, look, here's the plot problem that I didn't understand. Here's the mm-hmm. missing info that I needed to understand this character motivation. And I don't really hear that anywhere else. But to be <laughs> uh, once again, to be frank, I've kind of cut myself off from the other negativity because it was so overwhelming that I just had to like say, I can't like I I, I wasn't going on. I wasn't reading reviews anymore. I wasn't going on Twitter anymore. I, I, I didn't want to hear it because it was the same stuff over and over and over again. So as I mentioned earlier, I really wanted to know, like, for the people that love this movie, like, I, I really, I got to know, like, what do you see in this movie? What movie did you see? Because I really, like, I, I hate to say it this way because I don't want to make it sound, like, terrible, but I've seen it three times now. It's progressively getting worse for me, my experience, but I want to respect those opinions and I want to find, like, something that's like, oh, okay, I didn't see this movie, but I get it. So I did come across one article that we should definitely put up on the site. It's from a blog, Bitter Gertrude. And the, the article is, this is not going to go the way you think. The Last Jedi is subversive AF, and I'm here for it. 
And it went into detail about how this movie is about getting away from systems of, of, of privilege and toxic masculinity and war culture. And Poe is the child of soldiers. Rose is the children of miners. Finn is a random normal stormtrooper. Like they're not the princess that Leia was. They're not the son of, of a long lineage of great warriors like Luke was. You know, those aren't the new heroes because the original trilogy was about overcoming fascism and and the Vietnam War and, you know, that sort of thing. And the prequels went into the evils of like corporate influence on government and, you know, that sort of military industrial complex. This is about sticking it to the status quo, not just sticking it to the status quo, but completely upending the white masculine status quo. And Star Wars was caught up in war culture, you know, the hot headed pilot, you know, that was going to save the day. And this movie is about like, not so much the, the field tacticians that were going to win the day, but the people that could step back and say, no, we shouldn't fight here. No, we shouldn't, you know, like th this is the time to retreat and keep going. Luke looked at evil and saw the good in it and said, we can fix it from the inside. Whereas this trilogy is about burning the old systems down. You know, they're not going to save the galaxy. They're the spark that's going to burn the first order down, you know, to take down those authoritarian regimes that like we just can't save anymore. And I thought the article was great. I certainly see some aspects of this in this movie, for sure. I mean, look at the diverse makeup of the resistance, but I don't agree that it was effective. On that same line of thinking of the, uh, the resistance saying, we're going to burn the forced order down. Could it, I mean, uh, this would be my interpretation and no one else's, but like, could it be that that's what Ray is going to change? You know, like, is it conceivable that maybe in this next film, although it's not planned, but that the answer is that Ray is going to somehow change this. Like everyone's going to put their guns down at some point. Not everybody has to die. The empire doesn't have to be wiped out when Death Star three blows up and we hunt the last one of them down to the ends of the galaxy to purge the empire from here. And the first order isn't going to hunt down the resistance and just kill every single last one of them for being rebel scum, but rather there's going to be some way somehow that everyone just puts their weapons down and decides to get along. Maybe if, uh, Ray explodes in a bunch of uh, force fireflies because she's never been a real person and like, you know, <laughs> magically changes the galaxy because she's the chosen one who's a construct of the force, you know, like Anakin was born from uh -huh. the force. Because, yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just saying I don't it's, it's going to be hard for us to figure out what's going to happen before it happens. And d and dissecting the whole thing, like the, the point of view about it, like the war war machine culture of it. Uh, that's kind of I've heard other people talk about it before, but I think that's interesting. But I don't. I think the problem also is that this that Last Jedi was trying to say too much. It was trying to say so much about the war culture. It was trying to say so much about uh, uh, women representation and uh, uh, the nature of the Force, life, death, redemption, failure, and guilt, and all these things. And yeah, uh, it was a lot. And when you have that much stuff going into it you don't have enough time to get deep on any one of them. Yeah. And I, Matt, to, to that article, I remember when, when you shared it with me, one of the things you said was like, uh, Hey, this isn't the film that I saw. I'm pretty sure it's the film that wasn't made, but if this is the film that people think they saw, I understand why they mm. like it so much. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I'm all aboard the things that it's talking about. Like, I mean, definitely, you know, in real life, but I'm all about seeing a movie like that too. But I just, I didn't get it out of last Jedi. And you know, if, if people are, then, you know, more power to them. 
I just really wanted to understand what a lot of people that just like absolutely adore this film are getting out of it. Think back to before we knew anything about Last Jedi and like we were just getting the smallest scraps of information. We knew old Luke is going to be involved. And I, I remember when we saw that uh, footage of a, like, what looked like it was a stormtrooper on like a cable being pulled and being thrown through the air somewhere on Canto Bite. And we were like, is Luke going to walk in there and start force pushing, you know, you know, mofos out of the way and like totally be a badass and stuff. And like, if Ray's like, I got to go save Finn and Poe, they're my friends. He's like, you know, one time I had to leave my training and this time I'm going with you, Bay. And like, you know, they <laughs> just kick ass together. And like how excited we got at the idea of, Luke being the one. Then when we saw the trailer, he said, it's time for the Jedi end. We got excited because we thought he's not talking about burning down the Jedi and burning down this. He's talking about an end to the black and white and he the, the struggle for one versus the other, but we're going to be this middle ground. And I'm that still was so down. exciting. I'm yeah. still down. It's still a good premise. It's still great on paper. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the lightsaber split and Ray and Kylo went their separate ways back mm-hmm. into their camps. I'm all about different. And I just don't think it delivered on that aspect. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the some of the stuff they cut from this film. It's in all likelihood from from all, from all indications we've received, probably gonna show up on the Blu-ray when it comes out later this year. But before we do that, thank you so much for listening. We understand. I mean, we've been talking about this for almost two hours now. Um, this this extremely difficult conversation, which this is all about appreciation for me. I right. I love Star Wars. I don't want. I'm not here to be critical and be a, a, a fussy britches asshole. But I know this could easily incense a lot of conversation. Everyone seems to react very strongly to this film. That's okay. I know I had to, to do my fair share of it just to come to terms with what I'd seen. So if you have any of that, please do continue the conversation with us, either by commenting on this episode's posting or even better, going to the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group where there's a lot of people who've been having this same ongoing conversation. And thank you to everybody who's participated in it so far, whether we agreed or not. Like, it's been important to understanding what the hell's happening right now, you know? Because the more we can be civil and discuss this, I think the more it's going to help down the line because other people are going to, if people shut themselves off and they're going to go into episode nine being like, well, fuck it. You know, you go in arms folded, you're going to be disappointed. But if you can sort of, even if you didn't like it, just kind of say, all right, well, that one happened. And then we move on. We can still enjoy it. You know, we can still enjoy future installments. Yeah. Um, Because you're right. There is going to be some ones that are going to dazzle us sooner or later. And and it's and there's just just like how even amidst there being some terrible comics, including a downright rotten issue of Star Wars Adventures that once again proves that Rose is perfect and untouchable. And and just like the the most ideal, like again, still a Mary Sue character, just like so studious and good and everyone loves her, but she's going to stay in the background. That's that's happening. But in the meantime, Oh, you get incredible stories like Ashes of Jeddah in Star Wars right now, which is this like the perfect sequel to Rogue One aside from A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing. And, and there's still great things happening, great things worth knowing about, great things like if if we must cherry pick the Star Wars mass media enterprise for quality Star Wars, then then damn it, that's what we're gonna do here at State of the Empire. We're gonna tell you what is worth a damn, because some things might not be. So so be it. Here we are. If you feel good about this episode, if you feel bad about this episode, let us know on um, Podchaser as well. Uh, Podchaser is a platform for podcast discovery. You can rate and review not just series, like you can go on iTunes and rate and review us there, which would be great. We don't really have actually um, a nearly enough ratings or reviews on iTunes, which is you know still the number one source for people actually like you know discovering things. Podchaser is still in beta. It's a new platform. You should get on it because it's cool. 
Um, we need more iTunes reviews. We need more Podchaser reviews for State of the Empire. But you can also review, tag in terms of what's been spoken about, and and then also um, uh, rate with star ratings very very simply and easily on Podchaser. Not just series, but individual episodes. So tell us what you think about this episode or our past episodes. And, uh, and help the world discover more State of the Empire because um, we, uh, we exist in, in the podcast world in an ocean of Star Wars podcasts. And if you like this one, um, we need your help if we're going to, uh, to stay aloft. Otherwise, you know, we just will be just drifting in stars. But let's talk about some, uh, some weird shit, some weird shit that got cut from this movie. Um, again, this, is, this all comes from Slash Film. Um, when we'll, we'll link to it um, on Canto Bite, there was some more stuff. The uh, creature design head Neil Scanlon said there was a sequence with aliens leaving their vehicles with valets, um, where upwards of eighty-five practical creatures were created. Eighty-five. Wow. Apparently, some of them have been reused for Solo, which well, is at least they're getting reused. Yeah, seriously. And um, no surprise here, the fi- Fathier Chase, the the. The dog horses, mm-hmm. that chase was was longer, and they crashed through that bathhouse we talked about in the Visual Dictionary episode. The bathhouse appeared or was heavily mentioned in every single Canto Bite short story in that novella. And it seemed like they added in a lot more CGI sequences than they planned to, because as you mentioned, um, there was the, this, the, we were seeing the wire work from Dubrovnik where they were filming the Canto Bite scenes. We didn't see hardly any of that stuff no. in the end result of the film. Mm-mm. Admiral Holdo, the stuff they changed about her predominantly was that uh, she was more condescending to Poe, a bit meaner. She called him honey and flyboy a lot, hmm. which is it's, it's an interesting change because then like she, in a way, is putting him down the same way that a male leader might put like a female down and yeah. like in more patriarchal societies. And maybe they're like, well, you know, showing the inverse isn't better either. Right. She needs to be better. Yeah, being, than, than, yeah just, being than just flipping the script, yeah. which is a, a good idea, but I also think they might have also changed some, some plot around, but I don't know that. That's just speculation on my part. So um, the supremacy, Finn and Rose and BB-8 and DJ getting on board that, obviously there was a lot of stuff missing there because that's a very important mission that is extremely truncated with some big leaps in logic that took place there. Um, so they they get in an elevator at one point with some troopers. And this is a very superfluous scene and I totally understand why they cut it. Um, one of these troopers is played by Tom Hardy and he has a, a, a first order trooper with apparently a thick Southern accent. Initially he appears threatening to them and they're like, Oh shit, we're in disguise. What's happening. But he turns out to be an old friend of Finn's who somehow didn't know what happened to him. And he says, I know who you are, FN2187. Damn, boy, never took you for officer material. Which wow. would be a fun a fun sequence, but, yeah, unnecessary. Like, <laughs> that's a too much. A lot different than I originally heard Tom Hardy's cameo. Oh, what'd you hear? I had, heard, I had heard that Tom Hardy's cameo was on Canto Bite, and he was a First Order officer, and he encounters Finn and, you know, basically says, like, was under the impression that he was undercover. Yeah, that was and the other thing. They too. had been portraying him as a hero to the First Order. At, you know, the propaganda machine had spun it that he wasn't a traitor, but he was a hero. And it was supposed to be about, you know, just point of view and like he was going to have issues. But this sounds way different. So, yeah. And I and guess that from, was not true. From what I know, this is, this comes exactly from, this fr- comes from a Tom Hardy interview that we know most of this. So. Interesting. 
And also the the royals may have also been stormtroopers in that sequence. Like, like I heard that they were in the uh, execution sequence. I mean, really, where there's a cluster of stormtroopers, they could have been yeah, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. Um, there's an awful moment where uh, with DJ that was cut, where when he betrays Rose, she yells, "How could you?" And DJ rolls his eyes and is like, "I'm sorry. It t- turned out to be exactly what I said I was." Which is like all the other DJ moments are so much better. Like you don't need to have this and, one. And again, this is on the nose. Yeah, that's some Maya Angelou bullshit. Like it's 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 more on the nose dialogue that crops up a little too frequently throughout this film, which I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad they I'm glad they cut some on the nose stuff out of it, but they certainly left in an awful lot. Um, there's also a bit more phasma, <laughs> which would have been nice. Oh boy! Um, after he smashes, uh, after Finn smashes the hole in her helmet, a group of stormtroopers come to Finn, and he tries to get them on his side, saying, "Hey, you can join me. We can escape Phasma's grasp, uh, just like I have." And Finn says, "You know, she's really a coward. She sold the codes out to Starkiller Base." And the stormtroopers look at each other, and then Phasma pulls out her blaster and guns down all six st- or seven stormtroopers before they have a time to react. That would, what? Been, that, that would have been dumb because why wouldn't she have shot Finn and said, he's a traitor, like I said. Let's get out of here. <laughs> like, that, and that would have been a Phasma move based on everything else we've seen with her in the comics and shit. Oh, yeah. So, you know. That 100% ties into all that useless expanded material on Phasma. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I very, mean, very good content, 100% useless. I like I like mm-hmm. Gwendolyn Christie. I, I like the design of Phasma, but damn if they didn't shit the bed on, on what she was supposed to be. She's worse than Boba Fett when it comes to uselessness. Um, At least Boba Fett got Han to Java. I don't know what Phasma's done. <laughs> <laughs> she blew like, Starkiller Base. <laughs> and, yeah, do, do we think... Uh, do we think she's going to appear in nine and just quickly die again? I, oh, God, I really hope they don't bring her back. And like, because if they do, I'm just going to throw my hands up and be like, let me guess. She's going to fight and uh, she's going to get she's going to lose. Like, it doesn't matter even, anymore. She didn't even fight in Force Awakens. It's too bad they didn't use her in Rogue One. It'd be great if she was like an Evazan annual tradition is like, how is Phasma like made more useless? <laughs> it's like the, uh, you know, you killed Kenny of Star Wars. God, it's just it's just uncomfortable, and <laughs> like it really is. it's and it's uncomfortable because because the films constantly ask us to be threatened by Phasma and gives us no reason to be threatened by Phasma. She is so goddamn pathetic. I'm sorry, like I'm now getting angry just thinking about it. Like I know I've thought about Phasma a lot, but now I'm just like I'm furious that over two movies made her useless. At least Boba yeah. Fett looked threatening in Empire before they dispatched him in Jedi. He at and least then, died you know, fighting. He, he, he at least up. died fighting a Jedi, <laughs> you know? right? And this like like Phasma is so pathetic. If anyone is listening from Disney or God forbid the story group, shame on you for Phasma. She's pathetic. They should have brought back Traitor, <laughs> dude. If they brought back if, it, if if instead of Phasma showing up there, all of a sudden it's just like I don't know how you could dif- differentiate that this guy's the Traitor guy, but somehow he's got a huge hole, huge hole in his stomach. And he's like, I finally found you, you traitor. And then it's like, <laughs> and he's like, are you the one? That's right. And I still, you know, like just then have them fight. I've been fucking awesome. Yeah, he like, he unclips the stormtrooper armor and then underneath is just this like this big metal chest plate and all this like droid yeah. parts. And he's like, they made me better. Yeah. The fir- my resolve in the for the first order, they made me strong. And then and fucking you. Finn gets up, takes off his jacket, shows like the, the bionic spine he's got. And he's like, I got upgrades too, bitch. And they just fucking go at it. <laughs> like how much better would that have been? Like, Traitor surviving that shot from a bowcaster is way more impressive than Phasma surviving to fall down a garbage chute. <laughs> like, it, ugh. 
by the way, that's another one, a note for for listeners. Go back and rewatch the opening to Force Awakens. Gwendolyn Christie clearly is not present for when they filmed that scene on Jakku in the beginning of the film. They added her later yeah. because they were like, oh, here's a, a cool design for a character. And we got Gwendolyn Christie, who is amazing. But quick, let's just shoot her in front of like a desert and then, you know, have voiceover and then have it be there. Yep. You know what else and, makes me uncomfortable about Phasma? Gwendolyn Christie having to go on all these press tours and do all this fun stuff where she's wonderful and charming and interacting with a cast who she clearly loves and loves working yeah. with. But she's mm-hmm. so genuine. And and yet Genuine and, Christie. That's what I'm <laughs> <laughs> and, But at least she's well paid. But I can't imagine how unforgiving and like vapid. If and- I was her and I read the script for this and saw like, oh, that's it. Oh, okay then. You know, I just would have been so sad. What's the damn point? It's just so miserable. Like it's such God, a God, now if they if they reshot the opening of Force Awakens to put, instead of just having a shot of her being like, Sir, the troopers or whatever, oh thank you, uh, Captain Phasma, goodbye. If she like led the charge, like the the dropship doors open and she's like the first one out running with her cape blowing mm-hmm. in the breeze, and she's like, All units on me, I'm the spearhead, move forward. And she's carrying the fucking flag of the first order and plants it uh-huh. in a dead guy or some shit. And then she's like Burn this village! Nothing makes it out alive. And and then Kylo. Then after the after the storm settles and it's all quiet, then the shuttlecraft lands and Kylo Ren walks out. And he's like, "Good work, Phasma. I knew it could count on you." It's like my pleasure, sir. Like that would be fucking boss. But instead, it's just, "Hey, Phasma's here." And that one scene that you just described that was probably never on the drawing board yep. would have given her Everything. a legacy. Yeah. Everything yep. we need to know about absolute her. legacy. Yep. It would have made the first order more threatening. It would have made her more threatening. It would be, oh, Doug, I'm like fingers to my mouth, kissing the air. Mwah. I love it. That's great. <laughs> we got to be in the story group, even though even uh, even, if, even if we have different opinions on one film, I think like we have great oh, opinions yeah. on how to fix everything else. It's it's pathetic. Like Phasma's last shot on Jakku, like it pulls to a wide shot where you know you see Poe Dameron's blaster bolt unfreeze and go away. Mm-hmm. Where she was standing, there no longer is anyone. She's such the biggest afterthought of this saga. I mean, she was brought back for that one cool looking shot where she was like, you know, FN two one and seven two one eight seven. So good to have you back. Like they put it in the trailer cool shot. Yeah, they put it in the trailer. Great shot. Great moment. But uh, not that it. Which, by sense. the way, they should have absolutely saved for the film. So at least maybe some remaining Phas- Phasma, you know, fanboys and fangirls and you know, fan people can start clapping and going, "Oh my God, you're back!" But. No, they blew that load. That, that's really all she had was that shot. Um, yeah. and, 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 and it is a perfect example that Phasma's, all her presence in The Last Jedi is the emotional impressionism I've been talking about, of it giving you just enough to have a reaction, but not to invest yourself in, because that character didn't need to be there. They could have even sat on her. Pre- they could have not had her. Brought her back in the next movie. Yeah, exactly. That would have been fine. God, like... And, and and just for the Game of Thrones fans, I would have had a moment <laughs> where there's like, oh, shooting them is not good enough. And then the executors come up and they pop that axe open. And then the guy's mm-hmm. ready to chop off Finn's head. And she goes, no, wait. And you, there's like everyone stops in a dramatic moment. You're like, wait, she changed her mind. And she goes, I made the sentence. I should swing the axe. And then she takes the axe <laughs> from him. They're like, oh, fuck, this is great. Because now it's Game of Thrones and it's Star Wars in the cool ways. And I I, I know what they're doing. But no. And and it's very symptomatic of of what's wrong with the fan base on both both sides too. When you talk about Phasma, is you have people on one side, you know, saying like, "Well, you know, she's lame as Boba Fett was." That's not excusable for why she should be lame, right? And you know, and then you have people saying, "Oh, these movies are just silly, anyways." Da-da-da. Like, no, like 
There's a difference Don't between sell yourself short. Yeah, there's a difference between oh, the movie is silly and you're dismissing that and that doesn't excuse a nothing character. That doesn't excuse a nothing thing happening. Yeah. I don't I don't understand that approach and it's an approach a lot of people have and it uh, it baffles me. About characters, about the whole film, about individual plot elements and writing elements, it's like just, you know, ask for better of yourself, like uh, of of others, you know, like I just that's it. That's all I'm that's all I want out of the fan base right now. Hmm. So, uh, on Octo, there's more of uh the caretakers. Um oh, I wanted so much more cuz I remember that the visual dictionary Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, there, there is Doug. There's much more. I read, I've read, I've read this part, so I know what, <laughs> what more there is. So, and it's great. So it looks like you're gonna get three lessons, yeah, right? Yeah. Lesson number three was was Racy's boats headed towards a brightly lit place in the island. It's like get, it's getting dark. It's after lesson two. It looks like oh, those are bandits. They're coming to pillage the uh, the caretakers. You know those weird bird fish people you've been hanging out with that don't like you very much. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, look, if you help them now, she's like, I gotta help them. He's like, if you help them now. The Raiders will come back stronger and will make things worse for them in the future. So are you going to, you know, always be here to protect them from the Raiders? Because uh, tr- a true Jedi Knight would do nothing and would only ma- act to maintain the balance, even when people get hurt. And Ray's like, well, fuck that. So she, you, there's a scene then, which is in the promotional material. Oh, she's running. That shot get- where she's running with the lightsaber mm-hmm. on? Yeah. And Luke yells for her to wait, but she doesn't stop. So then she, she busts in over there where all, there's all the flame and stuff. And it's a party. The caretakers have glow sticks. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming weird alien glow sticks, mm-hmm. and and then the, when they bust in, like they're, they're, Ray, like what, like record scratch, what the fuck, and then the, Ray's got this lightsaber, and they're like, oh, we've got glowy things, and they start waving them around, like like Ray, Ray's, <laughs> Ray's been waving them around, and then and then she she looks over, and there's Chewie and R2 already at the party, um, they're they're wear, R2's wearing a necklace, and then Ray Ray looks at Chewie, she's like seriously, and then you know, haha, goofy laugh, um, but. Then she comes back to Luke and she's like, what the hell? Why did you tell me that? And he, he apologizes. He's like, look, I couldn't catch up with you. And and what, what you did there was what the resistance actually needs, not some old husk of a failed religion. And then Ray, which is a great point, yeah. should have been hammered home in this. Should have been in the movie. Um, and then Ray gets sad and mad about her friends who are in trouble because she believes she could come out here and get the great Luke Skywalker and help save them. Okay, good. We need this. We need more about this. Mm-hmm. We need to see more of this reaction from you. And apparently it was cut because it made Luke look like an even bigger asshole. Um, and also, Slash Film added, and I don't know where they're getting this from, but even though the basic details were approved by the Lucasfilm story group, it somehow didn't feel authentic to the Jedi code. What, to, to lie to her? I don't know to what end. I like guess what, what about that was not... Fuck it. Luke got lied to all the fucking time. Every Jedi that Luke has ever met has lied to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's frustrating. Um, and I, I think a beautiful lesson, too, about the nature of guardianship is when you protect people, you stand the chance of making it worse for them in the future. It's a, it's an interesting dilemma of guardianship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's turned on its nose when she gets to the party. But, oh, man, what a shame. Yeah. Sounds like a great scene. Yeah, I bet. And like, I mean, every the caretakers were so well done visually. Yeah. Like, I can't see the scenes. God, and on the those dictionary puppets. where it's like we we're like, I remember you were reading the dictionary, like, this is like some Jim Henson shit, like full detail, like the culture of the caretakers. And like 
the the males that go out to hunt in the ocean and come back and that was all great. Oh yeah, that, and that was that was what the party was. The, that was the, the return the, of, the, of the male caretakers. Yeah, the, 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 the caretakers are the are the nuns, the female um the lanai is what mm-hmm. the species is called. And then the uh the the visitors are what the male are called. The males the males are out there fishing, they come back and then when they come back with all their their, their plunder, they have a party. And that's what they what what Ray was barging in on. And I can't even I can't wait to see that sequence. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to be full of weird shit. <laughs> I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, otherwise, those those are the deleted scenes. But there is a little bit of more content about Last Jedi, which you might as well throw in here as the as the episode resolves. Um, the uh, the broom boy, his name is uh, Tamiri Blag. No, we who didn't cares. We didn't mention. I, I mean, really, it does, <laughs> he doesn't matter. But um, we we didn't mention his name when we were talking about this, the urchins in our visual dictionary episode. But there's a weird little thing, a weird thing. It's this is not important. This is not worthy of scrutiny. Certainly, and not in this climate of Star Wars. But weirdly, this last name B L A G G Blag does appear in a recent piece of Star Wars expanded universe content. Screen Rant pointed out that in from a certain point of view, the anthology there's a story called of M S E six and men about a mouse droid and this mouse droid here's a conversation between an officer named lieutenant bragg and a higher ranking officer who's presumably tarkin uh, the mouse droid is delivering hypos for leia's interrogation and blag gets reprimanded calling the interrogation droid a torture droid and then told that vader would be doing the work and blah 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 uh, blag is one of the imperials who gets surprised by lucan and chewy when they bust into um the cell block hmm. you know so that's it doesn't mean anything I, yeah i just want to point out that so the the name of Broom Kid being, what was it? It was Tamiri Blag. Yeah. The actor's name was like a Croatian boy named Tamirlin Blave. Yeah. Like they just changed up some lettering to make him yeah. alien. It's coincidence. So. Yeah. But it is it is a weird thing. It's a weird thing that that name did show up twice for what it's worth. And I don't think it's of, of any use. But then one one final thing. Freddie Prince Jr. did a podcast with uh, TheForce.net, and in it he said that the, uh, the the Last Jedi and Star Wars Rebels share extensive connections. That Dave Filoni and Ryan Johnson are actually close friends, which I didn't know. Um, and Filoni played a crucial role in um, Rogue One and The Last Jedi, especially in working on it. Hmm. I don't I don't know to what end. Apparently, he had a, I, Rogue One. It was probably just for Saw Gerrera, I would imagine. I, I would imagine, though, then they ended up changing everything. Yeah. Yeah. But as for Rebels and Dave's work and everything, we're going to be uh, back with our, our next episode, unless some huge news drops between now and uh, and, our, and our next release in two weeks. You're, um, which it might, it might, but our next planned release will be a catch-up on what happened in uh, the first half of the final season of Star Wars Rebels leading up to the final seven episodes of the series. A new trailer has just released, which we will link to on this episode's page. It is incredible. Doug, have you seen that trailer mm-hmm. yet? Pretty epic. Man. Yeah. Uh, I, no spoilers on the on that trailer, but but watch that trailer and be aware that if you're not caught up on Rebels, it's full of spoilers. <laughs> And and cool shit and stuff that'll make you nervous for the fates of all these characters, except Hera and Chopper, who we know survive. If you've never seen Rebels and you see that trailer, you're gonna go, I don't know what the fuck's going on, and that's okay. But don't bother watching the trailer. Then it. Well, but you you might watch the trailer and be like, I gotta check out this show. Maybe maybe I've underestimated. But just yeah, just like uh, if you listen to previous recordings of State of the Empire, my initial reaction was season one rebels i'm watching it going yeah it's all right mostly for kids but it's okay and it only gets better <laughs> like it just co it builds and builds and builds and builds 
Yeah, it is. It is magnificent. I'm. I'm gonna be sad to see it go, but I'm gonna be very excited to see what comes next. Mm-hmm. And that is whatever that is is already well underway in a production. It's definitely gonna come out in the fall. It seems like that's very likely. So yeah, thanks so much for listening. Again, feel free to comment away and let us know if you have any thoughts on these extremely complicated notions that we've got here about the Star Wars industry and the fandom and and the successes and failings of this film. And uh, we'll be here in two weeks. Godspeed, Rebels. Shut up! <laughs> Shut your whore mouth! I knew, you, I knew that would set you off. I had to say it. Ugh. What god, Doug? What god? There's I mean, probably a million th- gods th- in that could, Star Wars universe. Be. They've never talked about them. That doesn't mean they don't exist. I just don't know what they're referring to. It's always been May the Force Be With You. I did have a terrible thought, though. What? You either die the classic trilogy or you live long enough to become Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that statement is going to be very divisive for a certain portion of the audience. <laughs> I can't help that. <laughs> Day of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Special thanks to our Bothan pals in the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and Akmina, everyone's favorite canon Moss Eisley bartender. Seriously, she's canon now. And we're all the better for it. Row, Poe, and Row. That's the that's the Rose and Poe <laughs> fandom. Row forever, heart. <laughs> <laughs>